This is The Extra Sheep, the unofficial Age of Empires 4 podcast hosted by myself, Sokerton, along with Beal and Sir Nevels. And joining us again for, I think it's the second time, we've got 104 Tim in here with the uh, from AGC TV, a longtime enjoyer of Extra Sheep. Welcome in. Welcome in. <laughs> got an Extra Sheep with him today. So we've got a lot to talk about, guys. How are we, how are we doing, though, first of all? How are we doing? Excellent. Good. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. I love coming on here. Oh, beautiful. Welcome love to have you. I know, you're like out. literally like going to raise the IQ of this show by like 10 points just by being here. So, <laughs> hey, I need to make up for what I lack. Uh, it's all about compensation. Oh, we need a lot of compensation. We're, we're, we're sure. <laughs> I, 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 okay, for, for fact job, anyone who doesn't know, uh, I was just telling guys this just a moment ago. Sir Neville's knows. Uh, I went two for nine. Uh, two days ago, and I had to rethink my life decisions a little bit here. Uh, I understand. It was rough. Okay. I, yeah, was I rough. know that feeling. That whole just like I have completely forgotten how to play this game. Yeah, my brain just doesn't know anything about this anymore. Yeah, I'll no, tell you, man. Like, it's not about like if you lose one game or something. Like, if you have like fifty percent win rate, right? You win a game, you lose a game, whatever. That's fine. But like once you start losing like three in a row and for how long AOE games are, yep. it's like losing no. for an hour and a half straight. And you're just like, I just got to throw something. I don't <laughs> want to do this anymore. Yeah, I don't usually get very tilted. I really I'm really not the kind of guy. And you guys probably who are listening probably kind of get this vibe from me already. I'm not the I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I'm, I don't get very frustrated or very tilted very easily. So Neville's, I think you saw a little bit the other day where I, I was just kind oh, of yeah. fed up. I was like, man, I'm just I'm just tired of losing, dude. Like it, it feels like. I, I think I realized a couple things. Uh, one, I was playing Abyssin, and the first day I did that, I was picking up the sieve, felt really good. Uh, building and booming a little bit, having some fun. I really was winning a lot. I shot right up into Platinum again. Was thinking, hey, maybe I'll go Platinum 2 here in a bit, start actually climbing the ladder for the first time in ages. Because I've been stuck at like Plat 1, Gold 3 for a long time. Mostly because I just don't play every single day. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is my time. I'm going to start grinding and get all the way up to Diamond. This is gonna, This is my breakout moment. And then I, I just started losing and losing, mostly to Delhi. I realized that Delhi and Malians are indeed my kryptonite. Uh, I just don't know what to do about them, so that might be something I need to research more. But yeah, I was getting a little tilted, guys. I was I was having a rough day. So your boy Socrates was a uh, was struggle boating a little bit. But there is. I will say, I will say for the Malians, I'll I'll part a little bit of wisdom. Like I like I know what I'm doing anyway. But still, I'll give you some advice. For the Malians, I've completely changed the way I play against them. Yeah. By instead of doing things like raiding villagers and that kind of stuff, all their income comes passively, right? So I treat those economic buildings, those pit mines, the cattle ranches, they're the villagers. They're mm. the things I'm going after. I don't care about Malian villagers because they never have that money anyway. That's a good point. That's smart. That's smart. Like, you mean like uh, attack the, the cows? The tricky thing the, with uh, it, though... I mean, the cows are always going to be under the town center, so you've got to dive into that more often than not. So the, that leaves you the pit mines. And I, the, they've got a lot of HP for one, so actually focusing those down isn't easy. I don't know. It's hard to get any edge on them early, you know? I think that's the tricky thing. Is And you can't outboom them, so you're just left and in the middle zone. And now, see, Socrates, now you understand why I hate the Malians. There we go. He came full circle. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's just like, what are you supposed to do? Like, what is the play? Because that just doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I saw something gimmicky uh, when I was tuned into uh, Empire Wars a little earlier. It wasn't on purpose, but there was a cow that was outside of a ranch that got killed in the spot where they were going to put down the corral landmark. Oh, and yeah. that player had to put the landmark in a separate position 
So I was wondering, what if you had a couple sheeps with you? And at one point, just like ran through where those uh, ranches are in the middle and just like deleted the sheeps. So the corpses were there and you block buildings. Can you wait? I was wait, wondering wait, wait. Can, can you delete sheep? Pack. Can you actually do you that? Because normally a villager has just... to go kill them. Sheep, because sheep aren't really sheep aren't really your units, you know? They're not really your units. They may pretend that they are yours, but sheep are finicky creatures, guys. We know this. They 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 are the turncoats, the Benedict Arnolds of this game. Uh they don't require wool though. They just require I I guess if you can delete a sheep. Because if you can delete like three sheep, where they'd be putting down that landmark in the middle of their corrals. I think you could well, if you delete them, will they leave their carcass? Because then if that, then there's a whole extra little like you could like delete the three right there to save your villagers a little extra time under your town center when they do that mm-hmm. big, long swing to kill them. You could just delete them then and then their corpse would be there. So I, I OK, we need to open up. Someone needs to open up a game I, and figure this out now, because now I'm no, genuinely no, I, don't curious. Believe, I don't believe I don't, believe I don't you think that works. Uh, I don't think like, it's necessary deleting them. You could just attack them. Right. Yeah, you have a scout with a knight with it. There you go. There you go. Damage the yeah. bill. Yeah, yeah Beastie, that uh, Beastie did that. Beastie, he, okay. uh, I don't know who he's playing. Maybe Lucifer, but he like, it was pretty gimmicky. Like, you know, I think Lucifer, he had all his, you know, uh, little cattle ranches all around his TC. And right in the middle, Beastie ran up with like a scout and one sheep and just killed the sheep right in the center and ran away. That is some like next and, level. And, and, and Lucifer had to run over and like gather it super fast. Like he like put all his bills on gathered from that one sheep and long hauled it back to his TC. So it's possible. It, it's probably difficult. Probably because I mean, because if they catch it, you may you might get killed, lose a scout, or who knows. But yeah, so it's been done. It's it's a Just smart been thinking about smart it. Yeah, start. yeah, but I don't know about I don't know about deleting. I think you have to kill it. Yeah, I think you'd have to okay. kill it because I don't think you could delete it because it's not really yours, and I don't know if they leave the car. Because I'm really curious. I might have to look that up and see what the actual mechanics are. But even so, that's like that's some like next level like DMing right there. I love it. That that is. Well, they pick Molly. They pick Molly. You know, I was hoping you'd say that they'd go like professional scouts and then just drop a deer carcass off right there instead. That, Oh yeah, that's me. That's just me really wanting. Yeah, that's just me really wanting professional really scouts funny. to be a thing again. I miss. I think that Grand Theft Venison is one of my favorite mechanics in the game, and I'm sad it's just not balanced and not used. It, it's it's it makes me sad. I think it's one of the funniest things to watch on like high level tournaments is when they start stealing yeah. each other's sheep or sorry. Deer. You know, a good a good strat I've seen be using as the modelings for their pit mines. I think I've seen 3DB do it. Uh, he would like play Delhi and he would like run right over to like the enemy base immediately, like two spearmen, just build walls all like with his spearmen all Strumming. around the pit oh. mines. Basically, walling like a bunch of diagonal walls on the pit mines so he couldn't build houses on the pit mine. And I'm like, yo, it actually worked. I think it did against uh Beastie. Like at that point, you could just pull like, a villager and do it the same thing too, or that. Or that I know, I know like because spearmen can defend themselves. Uh huh. Like, yeah, they can yeah, defend yeah. themselves. So like, yeah, so like you can build walls and defend yourself at the same Damn. time a lot better. It's been it's been some tactics. I just, I, know, I don't think you can do any more. But it's my barbecue. I mean, I literally when I play, I played. I think I mentioned this last episode, but I was playing as French into uh, Malians, and I was like, screw it, I'm tower rushing this fool, and I did, and uh, it didn't go. work, but it definitely made it be one of those. It was like one of those scrappy games that like just is really wonky because mm-hmm. I ended up killing a ton of his vills, and he ended up. My eco is super behind. He eventually got ahead enough that he beat me. But it was like he stayed. We both were in Dark Age a lot longer than most people would feel comfortable oh, yeah. with. Dark Age fighting is a real thing. <laughs> it was a, really scrappy. Yeah, it was. It was odd. Molly and so so moral story is Molly and suck. Uh, so <laughs> Delhi is really OK. <laughs> Delhi is really hard, too, though. I was I've been really struggling against Delhi. Uh, 
I, I, I just feel like I keep losing that initial fight against Delhi every single time as Ab and I play. I've been playing as Abbasid a lot, trying to learn the Civ, and uh, I just have no answer to what to do with them. Like I, goodness gracious, they have just been walking all around me in early age. I had a good scrappy fight going French. It was actually I did I played this guy two in a row. Same. How many, I wonder how many yeah, times this happened. I played the same guy twice in a row on the same map. And he played the same Civ. I first time I played uh, Abbasid and just got swept. Next time I played uh, French. And actually, I, I killed. We, we just killed each other's villages for, for days. It was a really, really weird match. Uh, yeah, I watched that game. That game was different. <laughs> yeah, different indeed. But yeah, I wonder how often like, it happens yeah, that you like get paired them. with the same guy on the same map back to back. I mean, uh, I know. I, I mean, the same real- guy probably pretty i mean the same guy pretty often i know in the well especially in the time zones but yeah yeah like in the time zone i usually play in which is like seven eastern all the europeans are usually in bed so there's not that many people Mm -hmm. on the ladder but same map i don't think that's ever happened to me actually yeah same guy same map back-to-back games like i know i've played a couple players i've reckoned like like, uh, i'll shout out papa bear Uh, if you're out there i know you listen papa bear i know you've you've mentioned it Uh, i actually ran into him a while ago and we chatted after our first game and I actually played him again a couple weeks later. I was like, oh, my gosh, I know this guy. A uh, really great guy. He's, he's popped up in a couple of the threads and I've, I think I've seen him on either Reddit or somewhere for, for this up for the show. So I'm thinking about you, Pop Bear. Like I've played some guys who are around your level who play on the same time you do come across. But yeah, same map, same player back to back on ranked ladder. Yeah, the same map is is a lot. I ran into the same guy back to back last night when I was playing and he had a pretty interesting i never saw this french strategy before uh where he delay his feudal to go into a faster castle um and then send uh send the upgraded royal knights and men-at-arms into your base with 30 villagers to keep drop like right inside of your base uh it was uh-huh. it was pretty wild person. to play against sounds like a horrible person got me pretty bad uh on golden heights because uh, he would just had a faster economy because he just forgot about he just ignored water. Mm. Um, but when I rematched, I, you know, I knew what he does. And so I was able to prevent it. But I have not seen that strategy before. I don't know. either. Many arms and run. That's an expensive army. Oh, so the, Empire Wars. I, I was sorry not to cut in too much, but like Empire Wars, like you see some really interesting different strategies. I was watching a. Amista and I forget who he was just playing just like just now for when we were recording uh, a Zertan, yeah. yeah and uh, yeah. seeing the English go like full feudal men at arms because they had the farm economy behind it was really kind of neat. It's very different than what you normally see. So that, that just reminds me of like those off strategies you don't see often that could work. Actually, I saw Mista do that yesterday. Yeah. Um, Mista was, yeah, he was playing against Puppy Pond a series and it was very the last. It was uh, it was two to two. So it was a really last one. It was HRE. He was uh, English against HRE from uh, Puppy Paw on Kawasan. And missed it just because you're right, because they get the farms in the beginning. He just spammed men at arms with longbowmen. You don't have to waste the time or the wood or whatever to get those men at arms. And then all of a sudden there's 20 in your base that an HRE player doesn't really have much to do about it. You know, they have they have things like their own early men at arms. Right. But the english if they get a forward tower it's the same thing they're button heads early men in arms versus early men in arms just one goes 20 percent quicker yeah. so they didn't really have an answer mm. yeah that's yeah. actually actually it kind of leads us into our kind of our our news our age empires news for this last week we obviously we've got some things with some big news to talk about two big new announcements about two new civs we'll get that in just a second but uh tim you've been casting empire wars and this kind of this is a great segue into that because 
Uh, that's just going on right now, like this weekend. And I think next weekend as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Tim. You got to cast. I saw you casting that a little bit. I believe it was yesterday, right? So it was this Saturday. Yeah. He's a celebrity. Yeah. He's the main. That's the main one. The dream. <laughs> I was like, I know him. Yeah, we talk pretty often. We're, we talk. We're we cool. talk sometimes. Like, I feel like I feel like we're you cool. know that, that scene from like Mulan where like uh, the guy's shaking the emperor's hand. He's like, I'm with him, and the emperor just looks like unamused. I feel like I feel that way with Tim. Like I know Tim, and he's just like, Yeah, I'm cool. Whatever. Go screw yourself, well, Tim. <laughs> so I'm not going to comment on any of that, but I did. <laughs> but I did. Uh, I did cast Empire Wars yesterday on the A stream. It was a lot of fun. I did it with Dabston and. Me and me and him have been casting for together for, I want to say, like a year and a half at this point, either on his channel or part of Rising Empires or, you know, we've done EGC stuff, too. And he's just like, well, he's one of my best friends in this community. Right. So he's just we have that chemistry and we can just flow back and forth. Where uh -huh. It feels like for us, it's having a seven hour conversation between one another. And we like we have our own jokes and we even caught ourselves doing a couple inside jokes while we were on camera and then we were like oh for the 99.9 percent .9 of you who don't understand <laughs> what we're talking about this is what we're talking about you know but like it's cool to have a casting partner that you actually enjoy you know like i enjoy dabs's company of course when i casted with uh, i think i've casted with i think all of you except neville's no offense neville's but i have <laughs> done it with socrates and beal before <laughs> and like i i genuinely like everybody here Right. We're all friends. We're all we all like talking together and hanging out in each other's streams and stuff. So I I look forward to casting with you guys. And then it doesn't feel so it doesn't feel so mechanical. It doesn't feel so mm. forced. And then you could just kind of mm -hmm. just kind of have a conversation, talk about what's going on, what you guys are watching. It's like you're sitting back having a beer with each other, you know? Yeah, I actually this yeah. is really off topic, but uh, well, it's kind of off topic. But I was just watching on Reddit looking at some threads talking about some of the NFL announcers for the uh, National Football League here in America. and uh, I, to make a long story short, uh, one of the, my least favorites was always uh, two guys named uh, Uck and Aikman. Didn't like them very much when they, they started out a couple of years back, but they're, they've gotten really good the last couple of years. And there was a thread on Reddit going, you know, everyone used to hate these guys and they're announcing. But after a couple of years, like they just got a really good chemistry going because it's usually the same two guys every single time. And, you know, when you've worked with someone that long, yeah, you get that chemistry, that flow. And I, I actually did think of you, Tim uh, and Dabs. I actually did think of you guys like, wow, you know, like you get that you get those pairs you kind of get used to seeing on different casting and when you're with someone that comfortable it really does start to show in the casting as well and in the actual final product so i, I did and, think of i that. mean hopefully and hopefully people enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking about the game for that long you know i know for tv because i actually would watch some this was probably about a year ago when i started casting for rising empires but i would actually like look at when I was watching a sports game, when I was watching a football game or whatever for actually for AOE, it's pretty analogous to a baseball game because in baseball, there's, you know, these little minute points of action in between a lot of things. There's a lot uh -huh. of pitches. I would say 95% of pitches don't end up getting hit somewhere. Right. So you have a lot of filler time in AOE. There's a lot of time where dark age is going into feudal age. Not much is particularly happening, but you have to fill that void. And that's like the most difficult thing. It's easy to talk about if something's going on and it's a lot of action and, you know, the game kind of plays itself. But in that downtime or like intermission time, that's the it's the worst. It's so difficult to fill up space and you have to be entertaining enough. So people, if they're not seeing gameplay, they don't just leave. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Like going casting uh, Low Elo Legends, going into like one of the finals games where it's your like ninth game of the day and Dark Age is up and you're like, what? 
I've run out of conversation topics. Like, how do I get through? What do I say for the next five minutes uh, right. with the person I'm with? Um, and it really does. Like, chemistry is huge. Because, uh, yeah, I have casted with all you guys. Um, Neville's, you got to come back and cast the Wheel of Legends again sometime. Yeah, dude. Hey, no. hey, coming up, wow, coming up yeah, this like, week. Yeah, we've got time. announcements. We've Coming up this week, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, we might, may or may not be uh, taking over. Uh, the reins on on a casting, so be, be on the lookout. I'll, I'll I'll probably say more later this episode on that, but but sorry. Oh, yeah, sheep's on I'm the bed, you boys. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'm not glad though. Uh, but Tim and um Tim and you and well, I'm, oh my god, Dabson. On. Yeah, Dabson, you you guys are really good. In fact, uh, you guys like I mean maybe because like I feel like you guys like if it wasn't AOE talk at all, like I'd still be having a good conversation. You guys just on some like football or something so I, I felt i felt like i'm not glad you guys might have been my favorite egc duo like i had I that know, thought I actually i was that. like this is a good I mean, I, they've got a they power were, combo there yeah i feel like you guys thought you guys know each other in person so like it feels way more organic i'm like all right bet i can sit Absolutely. back yeah I can, I can listen to it like i can listen to the game like which is weird like i can never you gotta watch aoe it's not something you listen to like i can actually listen to the cast that was, well, that I really, probably... I really appreciate that. That means a lot, and I think for, oh, yeah, for, sure. for for Empire Wars, it actually is kind of a little bit easier because with Beal, you mentioned your example of you know it's your ninth game, Dark Age takes five minutes. You're like, well, I don't know, I don't have anything. Do you have anything? Like <laughs> to the casting partner, you're like, I don't know. But for Empire Wars, you know, they hit the feudal age button at like forty seconds. So we sometimes we wouldn't even finish our introductions of both players and then they start going up. So we're like, okay, well, let's quit the banter, I guess. We'll just dive right in. So it kind of Empire Wars was very it was different, but a good kind of different. It was an easier kind of different. Do you think that we'll see more tournaments with Empire's Wars going forward because of how dynamic that is and how fast it goes? So I can't like I'm not going to speak for oh, yeah, EGC yeah, because yeah. I'm not part of the I mean, like, outside. Like, just, do you think that that will influence though? Do you think people will be? I don't know. Yeah, I think it has to be incorporated more into AOE if they're going to do another one. Ooh, in my personal point. opinion, um, because of the fact it's just a mod that you can use for custom games. It was actually really difficult to do meta research and stuff that I, I talked about this yesterday too on camera, but a lot of people were, because they didn't stream their games, there were only a select couple of players that did. And it was all of the custom games, all of the Empire Wars and the metas that they were thinking about and developing were all behind closed curtains. You know, so in order to do research on Empire Wars, it was really difficult. So yeah. I think if they add, if they add a ladder for it i'm not sure how many people would actually sign up and do it i'm not sure how big the player base would have to be in order for that to happen but i think if it was incorporated more into the main game you might be able to see more of them mm, that's a good point actually i wanted to ask you another question real quick tim uh mm. about casting i'm curious how you guys do it because I, I know for back to back to like the football analogy a little bit like in football you've got the two commentators have different roles one is the play-by-play -play guy the other is the color commentator meaning they give kind of the fluff and analysis uh, for casting. I, I, I know for rising empires, at least I can speak. That. I don't really remember when I casted a couple months ago, I didn't really feel like there was like an a caster who was running the stream and a B guy who is also co-casting, but I don't really know that there was a play by play slash color commentator. It, does that apply for when you guys, you guys need to have like roles that you think about or 
You guys just kind of yeah. That's a really good. It? That's a really good question, actually. And I've I've noticed that when also when watching sports games, you know, you have the you have the fluff guy and you have the main play by play guy. I think for um, depending on who you're with, I've had I've had EG, I've had partners on EGC who like to make it very strict and be like, hey, you take care of play by play. I'll do the color and that kind of stuff. Where I felt like for especially for me and Dabs, maybe just because we've been doing it for so long, we just do both at the same time. Like there'll be some times where if something's going on on stream and I was in the middle of a sentence, I will do the play-by-play for it just to maintain mm. the flow. Sometimes I've had partners where if I'm doing color commentary and something goes on on screen, I'll pass it off or I'll segue to him to do that. So it just kind of, for me, it just kind of depends on who I'm with. I could do whatever. Um, but it really helps if you have the experience because then there's not really set roles. It's like you're both kind of doing both and not stepping on each other's toes at the same time, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Always... I wanted to jump in uh, a little earlier and just like mention uh, your cast with Dabston versus the other casters and not to throw shade on any of the other casters because everybody at EGC is I enjoy listening to. There's not a bad one in the bunch, but you and Dabston together uh, sound like you're not uh, two people from the casting pool who got matched up. Yeah, like, I agree. You weren't That's like you high level casters. I was like, okay, and you and you, you cover the games today. <laughs> it was just like, oh, this, this is it's kind of a package deal. These guys really go together well. And you know, that's why I, I mean, I appreciate that you were that you're aware of that. But um, also, if there was somebody who I was casting with who was new and I had uh, enough time, I had a schedule to be like, hey, you're on the schedule. You're with this person. It's going to be in two weeks. I'd probably reach out to them and be like, hey, can we just do a couple games off screen just so we can kind of get each other's, you know, vibe? We're going to do a nice little vibe mm-hmm. check offline and figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I mean, for dabs, obviously, it's not necessary. But for if I was with one of the other new casters I'm, uh, or one of the other usual regulars who are there like if i've never casted with someone like kp or drongo before so if i did i'd be like hey like can we take like a half hour and do a game just to kind of figure each other out a little bit you know that's a great idea that's great yeah i've I've been giving that a lot of thought lately because i've been wanting to get back into casting more myself i've been doing some more we had the uh the beal fan club that we i ran and cursed beal last <laughs> week massively. i was there that was fun <laughs> i cursed him so bad thanks so much i'm so sorry i did it to jeremy too american jeremy the week before as well but he at least went one and one and three so he, he had a bit better of a day but yeah the casters curse hit beal pretty hard there uh, i man i love casting i forgot how much i loved it uh as much as I, and the funny thing is like I, I start playing more and i start wanting to do more casting and i start casting more then i want to start doing more playing so i, I just it just makes my mm-hmm. love of aoe grow so much <laughs> when i do that uh, you know, it's it's really funny because I kind of I, I I flipped the switch for a little while. Like I did I did a decent amount of casting. And I have been for probably about a year and a half now. And this was probably about a month ago. Uh, I told I, I messaged Pesty because I was actually going to quit and I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, he because I, I had a bad cast uh, and then or one that I thought was bad anyway. I saw some YouTube comments that weren't that great. And I was like, eh. You know, people aren't liking it. What am I doing? So Pesty actually reached out and called me and he was like, oh, wow. don't, and he was like, don't do that. You don't do that. Don't quit. You're, you're actually good. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm glad like, you okay. did then. I'm, I'm yeah, really glad. I'm, I'm I like, and I, I feel bad. Was that the same cast that I jumped in and said when you were with cow and I was like, 
who are these guys? EGC needs better casters. And <laughs> bro, imagine you go in. You're like that. you. I mean, all three of you guys. Uh, I mean, obviously, I have others, but like, you're some of my best friends in the AOE community. <laughs> And Beal just walks in 15 <laughs> minutes into the cast and being like, man, they couldn't have got better casters for this. I was like, the bottom Yo. of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah, I got <laughs> He did immediately. That's so beautiful. Yeah, if, um, hey, if, yeah, if I was in that chat, I'd be in the I'd be in the chat. Like, yeah, get him out of here. Get that nigga <laughs> out of here. With the get me out. <laughs> she. It's like, yeah, no, wait, wait, wow. we know him, we know him. It's okay, he's cool, he's cool. <laughs> yeah. That'd be it crazy. Was, you really got bounced, bro. You got bounced off the club, dude. Well, what I'm glad they do. I, I mean, to be fair, like, I'm glad that yeah. they are quick to do that. Uh, I mean, obviously, Beal, like, knows Tim, but they wouldn't necessarily know that. But I'm glad that like, right. they're trying to protect their own, you know? Because, like, obviously, some people are going to have their opinions, and that doesn't make them wrong. But, you know, there's no reason to be, like, hateful about anyone, right? But obviously, Beal didn't, is, is very tongue-in-cheek with that. But like some and, people, some know, people are I being kinda, serious, you know, and you, it's hard to define that sometimes. You know, I kind of learned. I mean, obviously, EGC didn't know, so I'm I'm glad they do have my back. If there was a random guy who did that, Beal, you can say whatever you want. Don't worry, you can <laughs> literally, you, you can call me whatever name in the book, and I'm cool with it. But the uh, with some of the some of the yeah, I mean, some of the comments weren't that great, like on the YouTube videos and stuff, and um, even for I've learned in my full-time job as a physician, if you're, if everybody likes you and every single one of like, for me, if every single one of my patients liked me, I'm doing it wrong. Right. So it, like, you feel like a doormat at that point. And it's kind of the yeah. same way for a caster. I have my own vibe. I have my own way that I speak. And there are some people that aren't going to like it. And you know what? That's okay. Cause entertainment's a service industry, just like everything else. You know, I wouldn't keep my plumber if I didn't like the way he fixed my sink, I'd go get a different plumber. Same thing. Even like posting, uh, I've been posting the links to, I mean, I'm trying to promote the podcast, everyone who might not have seen it before, right? So I'll post a link onto Reddit every now and then. Like, you know, every time we post a new episode, I, you guys probably listening probably have seen it. I'll post it on Reddit. And I, I get to see the stats of like how many people like upvote or downvote it. And we sit around 92, 93% of upvoted. But I mean, that implies though that for every 10 upvotes, there's someone going, nah, screw these guys and downvoting it. Which to me, right. I'm like, oh, then, that's so odd. Like, who would be hating this? It's just, just more. I'm just providing an extra service, like out of our own pockets, our own time. Like, it's odd. Wait, what are you gonna do? Like, what are you gonna do? Cater to that eight percent people? Exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, who cares? Yeah. They don't like it. Fine. Go watch something else. I don't yeah. care. So they're always gonna Listen, have. You can never appease everybody. How it works is, man, is that you're not popping if you don't got haters, bro. You're not popping, bro. <laughs> as simple as that, dog. You, you, Thus you, proclaim you, it, you, Sir Neville. Exactly. You are not popping <laughs> if you don't have haters. <laughs> Listen, man, you know, you know, you don't got real motion unless you got haters, man. You got to Haters, honestly, are complimentary. I Once need to carve that into like a stone tablet. Or it needs to be one of the great. Neville's is going to have his own like series of like great commandments of Bicer Neville's. And that is on. That's like number two on the list now. Know thy enemy, know thyself. Now, now we've got that. If you don't have haters, you're not playing hard enough. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, man. You got to be uh, Devils, I'm telling you. Soon, <laughs> <laughs> Devils, I'm telling you. As soon as you start parting the Red Sea, I'm out. Nah, man. Listen, I'm telling you, it's a real simple mindset of it, man. You got, you got to love it, man. Just like really, any anybody who's great. Think about it throughout history. Anybody who's great, and I'm calling us great, by the way. Yeah, I'm calling everyone here great. Anyone who's achieved greatness, you're gonna have somebody tugging at your pant leg, man. You're gonna be like, hey, no, no, come, no, come down here and be humble with the rest of us. 
But greatness, no, we must ascend. We must not. We must not look. Down. We must not look past all the negativity. You only focus on the positivity. It's going to be somebody. It's going to be somebody or, or some type of entity out there that's going to be like, oh, these guys. I mean, I guess they're good. Whatever. Or this extra sheet podcast. I mean, they kind of like a little too long for my taste. Like, you no know, matter what, you know, we just ignore that. That's background noise. That's honestly, that's just like, that's like, that's like a bow movement to me. I'm not trying to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Who cares about that? We thought we were about, we were about the, the goal ahead, achieving greatness. And we're great. So once you achieve greatness, it's crap in the barrel mentality. Keep dragging it down. For, for anybody who just listened to that, including me, like, I want to run through a brick wall for this man. I literally was sitting here thinking, man, in post-production, I got to add like the, the national anthem behind this, like for him. Like, it's so good. <laughs> no, hey, I mean, I'm saying, I'm, I can't, I, we got to keep our heads up. Because listen, boys, we, we were the ones that held the line. When all the haters are hating, everybody was dooming the game. We held the line. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't falter. We didn't, we still put our episodes out. And now, listen, now we're on the right side of history. Be on the right side of history. We've entered the five say. minutes where we pat ourselves on the back again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'm always going to lead that, I feel. I may I got to relax. I got to be more humble. I'm always going to lead. I got to chill out. All righty. Well, um, so Did we so, actually start the podcast yet? Oh, we're, we're live. We are live, Snevels. We are, we are now like 20 minutes in. Uh, for everyone who's still listening, you guys are the real MVPs. Uh, back to some of the news. Uh, so, so with, uh, I mentioned the English kind of meta being a bit different. Any other big metas that you noticed, uh, Tim of empire wars that people should maybe be aware of that you saw? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, especially with, I mean, it's no, we're no stranger to this at this point, but my favorite city was Roos and there has been a exquisitely high amount of golden gate presence now. Yeah. Because it's amazing. When you're the Roos starting in Empire Wars, you get, I mean, everybody, everybody except French has the same amount of villagers. Everybody starts with 24. French actually gets three more. But for the Roos, they start with a wooden fortress already. So you don't necessarily need the Kremlin to get the wooden fortress. Yeah. So I love it. That's been a big change. Um, I've seen the. The Abbasid Fast Castle meta be more prominent. I mean, I know it happens in standard sometimes, but I've seen a decent amount of culture wings to go up to feudal just because you have a lot of the villagers anyway to make a fast castle kind of thing. So it ends up paying off pretty well. And I think for especially against Mali, because I've seen even China do this. Uh, China would actually be good civilization, but I've even seen people like French drop a barracks and go for spearmen in Dark Age in that little bit of time because with Mali starting with a pit mine and getting that passive income up already, you want to do everything you can to disrupt it, maybe put an outpost up there or something like that. So I've seen a very high amount of Dark Age aggression against Mali for sure. Neat. Wow. Well, and, and this is really, it's probably just going to be exclusive to Empire Wars, though. And, that, and I think that right there is kind of like, I like Empire Wars a lot, but like, it's, it's hard to like relate to the gameplay because you know it's just like a custom gameplay. It's not like, I like the OG tournaments because I can actually like, like look at a strat that I'm actually capable of doing on the ladder. Whereas like, Agent, like Empire Wars, even though it's entertaining to watch, I can't really take many notes or like any like, you know, I can't, it doesn't really move the actual ranked meta. And I completely understand that, you know, if there's if there's somebody who's watching high level play like that to learn to incorporate it into your own game, 
probably those Empire Wars tournaments, you're probably not going to find them very entertaining because unless you have somebody to play Empire Wars in a custom game, yeah. you're never going to use what you're watching. Yeah, like, I remember like, they're, they're good. Same, the same criticisms with uh, like the EGC, one of the one of the Golden Leagues had additional villagers at the start, mm-hmm. and I remember reading a lot of posts like, "Why are we watching this?" I I also see it for like tournament maps too. Like, why are tournaments? Why why is seventy five percent of the map pool not accessible to normal players? Uh, I've seen a lot of people complain. Like, okay, we're seeing people develop metas for Holy Island. What does that mean for me? Like, I'm never going to play that map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I and I feel like I feel like I I see both sides though because it is like inter- I mean, the term is really are meant just to entertain and they want to switch it up like Golden League. I remember when Golden League mm-hmm. was going with the 12 villagers. Like it's kind of like, I mean, like it it's it's like a double-edged sword. Like it is like entertaining. It is very fun to watch. But at the same time, like you're not you're not gonna like use this, you know, you're not gonna be able to use this in actual, you know, rank play. So like like I said, the Empire Wars is actually like I'm not gonna lie, I'm actually really enjoying watching Empire Wars. But it's like I have to take a piece of my brain kind of like out of it, like, oh, yeah, but I'm not going to start with 23 villagers. So, like, this, what he's doing is not going to work. Like, for example, Golden Gate, like, when you said Golden Gate was back, I was so happy. And then I remember, like, oh, well, this is Empire Wars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have much success. I think you guys both kind of hit the nail on the head. And I think it depends on what you watch AoE4 content for. You know, yeah. there are some people that love watching it to learn. And usually when I'm watching Twitch streams, I use it to learn. But there are some people that watch it because they like the game and because they want to be entertained by a tournament mm-hmm. and watch high level play in any capacity, which is fine. And I think if you know, as long as you know, it's an Empire Wars tournament, you're not going in expecting ketchup, but getting cocktail sauce. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, that, that's a good thing. I like that. Well, yeah, you're right. 100 percent. And I do, I personally do enjoy the uh, custom game settings that EGC has been running. Uh, I, I know uh, that they've announced that they're going to continue operating on this seasonal thing where it's three tournaments uh, every season, sort of. Uh, and I know, shouting out their Patreon, uh, they're going to use that to fund some of it uh, to keep the community going. Um, so if you're interested in AOE4 esports, Definitely check out the EGC Patreon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would absolutely love it. I would absolutely love it <laughs> if one of those tournaments, uh, just like Empire Wars, was uh, less less of a prize pool, but more experimental settings. To mm. Give something towards some of the more creative players to develop their own meta for a weird little custom game. Because mm. uh, I love those little experiments. Um, I think they're... Yeah. They're really interesting from just a just like, oh, if you tweak this and this and this, how radically different is the game? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, like they really try to mix things up, you know, because the last tournament before this was the Elite Classic, if I remember correctly. And mm-hmm. the it was just one V one straight up. Right. There was no like derivations. There was no any kind of, you know, extra that experimental mm-hmm. stuff that you're talking about. This is just one V up straight up. Who's the best of the best? Let's figure it out. Right. And I yeah. think the tournament, the next one afterward, which is the um, championships, is going to I'm assuming is going to be like the same thing. I don't have insider information, but I would expect it to be in a one V one setting, that kind of stuff. The yeah. one plan like you could even experiment with not only 
different mods in the game but different players who are actually playing you know like i always thought rts is such a different game in terms of streaming there's not that many streamers that are like most of the streamers are top players right because you want to see the game at top level play um usually if people watch my stream i tell them if you're looking for top level play i'd probably go somewhere else but the Actual, like I, I wish there was an ability to pair a top level player with a content creator. I just want right, to and have jump like in and a say kind that of Tim is a conqueror player, so uh, he he's like like already up there. And meanwhile, all of us are sitting here in like platinum gold. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 going to find high level players. Go find someone else. Like cough cough Tim cough cough. <laughs> but that's sorry, but sorry. I mean like seriously I mean like I'm I'm not a top fifty guy. You know I'm barely a top thousand guy. You know, so if people are looking for like the best of the best people, you're not you're not going to find it here. So, and that's OK. You know, you just try to be more entertaining or you try to add some other variable to your stream that makes you better. But that's more about streaming than the actual game tournament. So Clash of Lash 2, when? That's that's what I was just thinking. Clash of Lash was like probably one of the best tournaments I've seen in a long like mm-hmm. that tournament when it came. It was basically pros and Joes versus other pros and Joes. Like that was actually like a really interesting concept. Like, I I think I think somebody's getting his ear. Make another one, Clash of Lash two, because that right there, like it was like that's what, some people like actually got like who I kind of think like I'm who won that, who won that again? Lucifron and Angelica. Yeah, dude, and I, yeah, and I think that like kind of blew her streams up. Like she actually got like, a lot of uh, traction from that tournament. I mean, I know she's probably already like you know had a nice viewing. She before, had a decent following like, already, after, yeah. But yeah, yeah but, like, after that, dude, she became like a yeah. She was like like, and it happened to a couple people. Like a couple people, like I remember like watching that, and it was surprisingly really entertaining. But I, I think on my fault. I'm kind of veering off topic because now I'm talking about team tournaments. But uh, pretty much, yeah, like Empire Wars and these the uh, the strats you uh you mentioned the new meta, beautiful. It sounds dope. I just really. I wish I I wish they implemented like a like in quick match, maybe putting Empire Wars in there. I think they I mean, to be fair, they've like, also had their attention fully focused on uh yeah, the new right, true, true. So, so you know, at, at this point 100%. the game is in such a good spot, right? Like overall, like they could go so many ways with it. The fact that we're getting more tournaments again is a good thing. Amazing. Uh, it, it, we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot right now. But for sure. I think we've uh it's time to get to the big news. I think it oh, is yeah, time yeah. for what we've been waiting for. <laughs> Byzantines, busies. Let's get to busyness, right? Hey, that that uh, that 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 is amazing. I I I just seen the outline, like what you like. You put a little play on Byzantine. You get it? Let's get down. No, I gotta give credit That's where it. it's due. Uh, oh shoot, who was he who who messaged me this? I got I gotta shout him out. He's the one who like he wanted me to come up with more puns for the names of our episodes. I got I got I gotta shout him out. Let me where's the dumb burb? I think so. I think so. Let me double check that real quick. Let's get uh, down to business. Yes, dumb burbs. Thank you. He was really excited. He wanted me to do more puns and wordplay for the episode titles. And he suggested that you can do Let's Get Down for Business. And I was like, oh, it'd be great for busy teens. We've also got an alternate China sieve. So I was like, this is so perfect, right? Because Mulan, China, but let's get down to business. Oh, OK. Anyways, I was really excited at that. And uh, yeah, who doesn't love a little bit of Donny Osmond in their podcast, right? Uh, oh, yeah. That was good stuff. So, yeah, let's talk Byzantines, guys. This is. Like, this is big. Uh, I mean, yeah. first of all, they look great in purple. Second of all, you look good in purple. I mean, it's gonna be hard to, to even know where to begin on this. So I guess we'll just read through what we have on 
ageempires.com slash games slash ageempires uh, four slash civilization slash Byzantines. Um, so guys, Byzantines, uh, actually, uh, well, I was like, do I want to give some historical context to where this civ comes from? For those who don't know, maybe I should hand you it know, to I'm Tim. You know, I'm chomping at Tim, the bit Tim, about Tim, historical the, context. Okay, historically, <laughs> I mean, we all know what English are, right? We all know what the French are. Most of us know, knew or like know from history, if you don't, HRE being the German states, Holy Roman Empire, which was neither Holy Roman nor an empire. Uh, <laughs> most are pretty, pretty self-explanatory. But what on earth were the Byzantines? I'll take it away, Tim. Take it away. <laughs> it's a good question. They uh, they didn't task me with the historical context of it, but I like medieval history that much that I spent my morning reading about the Byzantines and <laughs> Zushi. So Byzantines, first of all, medieval powerhouse, right? They separated from the Western Roman Empire to become the Eastern Roman Empire. Colloquially, they're Byzantines, and I think it was 285 Common Era, if I remember correctly. Honestly, I, from from what we've read that Socrates is going to get to, definitely one of the most complex civs, but we got to break them down just a little bit historically to give some reference as to why the things that are in the game are as important as they are. So the first thing, obviously, everyone's talking about olive oil, right? Not Popeye's love interest, but the actual <laughs> squashing of olives. <laughs> yeah. But actually the squashing of olives to make said oil, right? So basically for this reference for olive oil and why it was so expensive as it was, each individual olive tree yielded about 25% increase of the revenue compared to actually buying the tree. So on a yearly basis, basically it makes up for itself in about four years. Also, they make, well, some of the best olive oil because right in Asia Minor and where modern day Palestine is, is where some of the oldest olive trees are. Some of them are about 6,000 years old, believe it or not. Whoa. Um, yeah. So the Byzantines made some really big technological strides in the olive press. Uh, I, I say groundbreaking, but it's more like olive breaking strides in the press too. Yeah, we got, pun. Yeah, pun. we got puns here too, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Um, the... <laughs> but they made bigger strides in press to extract more oil from each individual olive, right? So that they had a lot of it, and it was expensive. They didn't have, you know, they, they couldn't use all of it, so they're going to export it, right? They're going to go to different areas. The Byzantines basically had a stranglehold over, I want to say, about 75% of the Mediterranean Sea, Constantinople being adjacent from the Aegean Sea, which goes into the Mediterranean. So one of the most important laws that were in the 7th to 8th century Common Era was the Rhodian Sea Law. Uh, basically, it states that merchants received a fixed compensation for exported goods, which was, was some of the first documented cases of things like commission that a lot of salespeople do nowadays. So it incentivized these merchants to quickly export all of these things. But most importantly, the Byzantine state made sure that no goods could be exported to a potential enemy. And there were two very important ones that we're going to read about later as Socrates gives us details on the Byzantines, the first being olive oil aforementioned, and then the second being Greek fire, which we're going to talk about a little bit too. The Byzantines later worked with the Venetians as they started to ascend to power in about the 10th century common era, where the Venetians would help be their merchants and they would, you know, export their olive oil and other goods to all of these places. And the Byzantine would provide naval support with some of the Dromans that we're going to talk about too, for the actual naval warfare of all of these. So, I think that's the first piece of history we'll get into for now. Then as we read about some of these topics, we'll get into detail about each individual one. But I'm going to I'm going to give it to you, Socrates. 
cool. That was amazing. That was Whoa. quite the. Uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> I was quiet, tuned in. I was like, I was like, oh, there's more later. Why can we get it now? I'm like, pretty oh good, pretty God. good. So yeah, so Western Roman Empire fell in around 285, uh, and the Byzantines take over. So in Age of Empires IV, the civilizations of Byzantines, for the game's purposes, covers roughly the 9th century Common Era to the 15th century. Uh, the Eastern Roman Empire, now commonly called the Byzantine Empire, was created then after that administrative split, as we said. Um, and Constantinople was just beset by enemies on all sides. At their height, the Byzantines commanded, as Tim kind of alluded, uh, just a sprawling empire throughout the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so the Byzantines, I, I, I was thinking this, I kind of wanted, I was trying to think of a way I could like tie this into like earth, wind and fire, you know, like the band and kind of because I was thinking, you know, water, fire and uh, oil are kind of the big things that go on with the Byzantines, right? <laughs> I was trying. I, 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 I didn't quite make it to work, but I wanted something. Socrates, there. If all it was September, I'd be on board. If it was still September, it's not. Ah, this came out the wrong time. Uh, <laughs> that said, do you remember? Uh, okay, Byzantines. <laughs> the Byzantines bolster their forces by using olive oil, a fifth resource. I'm going to say that again: a fifth yeah. resource unique to this civilization. Uh, so that already just off the bat is going to make this. I think I heard BC. I've heard rumors that BC QD has come out and said that this is probably going to be one of the most difficult civs because of that. I think uh, I think adding a fifth unit resource is going to immediately just change the game a big time for the civ. Uh, so they gain access to it over time by gathering from the unique olive grove that replaces the standard farm. So they don't have normal farms. They just have olive oil for their farms. Uh, with access to such a broad roster of units and mercenaries and mercenaries, keep an eye on that. That means probably units from other civs. Uh, the Byzantines highly buried mm -hmm. army is capable of adapting to whatever they encounter. Additionally, this is something a week guessed on a couple weeks ago when we saw the uh, first little blip come out. The networks of aqueducts and cisterns provide water to all corners of the Byzantines empire, providing a variety of enhancements to all nearby villagers and buildings. So pat ourselves in the back. Another couple minutes of us uh, saying that we got it right on the guess. Uh, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I, I remember taking a look at this picture and near all of the farms, because the olive groves were in like the eight by uh -huh. eight, like the eight, the three by three, eight of the farms around a mill. Uh, but there were olive groves and next to each one of those was a cistern. Yep. Uh, so it says here additionally oh, uh, networks yeah. of aqueducts and cisterns provide water to all those corners. Uh, they give that those economical bonuses to all a variety of enhancements to all nearby villagers and buildings. As more cisterns are connected, the water level increases, improving their effectiveness. I'm guessing you can only build so many, and I'm guessing you, as you age up, you'll probably be able to get more. Kind of like military schools in a way. I think you'll probably be capped, and you can only build so many. But and goal for your opponents so, in fire. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. I really, really like how they incorporated cisterns and aqueducts. Um, just to kind of uh, further elucidate that point that you made, Socrates, with the how many you can build. I do know from watching a previous Age of Noob video that in Dark Age, you're able to build your first. So I believe it says that later here as well. But yeah, in Dark Age, that's you can build your first cistern. Oh, sorry. I'm skipping ahead. Yeah, but, but no, um, you're good. You're good. But I really like, too, is there's there's playability against that. Right. Because how do actually cisterns and aqueducts work? Well, uh, in real life, they work by gravity. Usually a cistern is up on a hill. You use an aqueduct, it flows down. It's kind of like an aerial version of an irrigation system, right? And so this, when you're actually building the, the cisterns and the aqueducts, you don't necessarily need gravity. It's not like you need a hill to build a cistern. That would be very counterintuitive to somebody who's an RTS player. But you can, as an enemy civilization to the Byzantines, you can take down a piece of aqueduct 
and that ruins the cistern network. Yeah, so, I was looking at that. I was wondering if you could just ram like a section of a aqueduct, like a stone wall, and just boop. You yeah, are ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You can, and because of that, it gives you like yeah, it has a passive boost to your income, but you can do something about it. You know, it's like HRE with prelates. It's like, yeah, they inspire, but if I kill the prelate, you can't inspire anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really like the ability of the enemy to be able to do something about it. Yeah. Counterplay for passive income. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so you can, it looks like as you age up, you get more assistance. I'll talk more about that when we get to the actual ages here. This is still just kind of over overview of playing. So we've got oil, we've got water, and then going on to fire, Engulf your opponents in fire and flame by spreading Greek fire with trebuchets, dramans, and I'm going to say this wrong, probably cherosiphons. Chero-siphons? So I, I noticed that uh, not everyone Chero-siphon. reads the outline because I did, you did actually mention this? look this up and I looked at four different pronunciation websites and one primary literature article wow. that told me the English pronunciation. And basically, yeah, kerosiphon. Uh, the Age of Noob does it very well because he adds a little bit of... Uh, a uh, little bit of uh, in the H, you know, but I'm very American. I can't do that. <laughs> What's a Chiro Siphone? <laughs> yep, yep. Very American over here. Chiro Siphon. Chiro Siphon. Yeah, that, that's what I'm seeing it as. Chiro Siphon. Chiro Siphon. I mean, it's siphon right Chiro there is in the name, right? Siphon is yeah, like kind of that root, Chiro siphoning siphon. off something, sucking something, Chiro, that's, sucking something through. That, that's kind of the siphon vibe. And then I don't know what Chiro may be. Like a root for fire? I don't know. That's what I get at uh, Cinnabon when I order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's two. That's two bad. Three bad puns now we've had. I'm going to keep a chally going. Uh, so this was, these were first invented by the Byzantines in 672. Wow, they're very documented. I love that specific. Like, just so you know, 672 in the year of our Lord and Savior uh, <laughs> was a handheld Greek fire projector used to great effect on both water and land, creating lasting patches of sticky burning ground wherever it landed. I should have gotten, actually, I'll, I'll put it in later. Uh, insert right here. Uh, no, uh, saying I love the uh, smell of, uh, of, uh, uh, napalm in the morning. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> really? I mean, and actually like the name for the term itself. I mean, we're going to see it in Socrates. I'll read about it being on battering rams, of course, but the terms actually for the tube that sprays the Greek fire, it's not yeah. about whatever apparatus it's attached to or the person. It's the actual like apparatus that the fire comes from. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's the general guess. Let's get into the units. So Byzantine units at a glance, uh, the cataphract is a unit. I think Neville's you were like, You've said this word so many times and it keeps uh, to me. I always just hear the word uh, cataract like you can't you got something in your eye. You can't see you got like a blurriness going on, but not to be misconstrued with uh, cataracts. The cataphracts uh, <laughs> completely enclosed in scale armor. These are mounted units and equipped with a powerful lance. The cataphract replaces the knight at a higher cost. Uh, groups of cataphracts are capable of devastating a devastating charge that tramples anything in their path. I wonder if this is like an automatic trample or if it's a like a button you have to press like Q to like actually uh, start the charge or something. I'm curious how that'll work. But it sounds like these are big, big time, heavy, expensive charging units. And mentions in groups yeah. too, uh, like groups of cataphracts are capable of devastating charge. I wonder if that means like it's just more effective or you just literally have to have more than two to get the charge to happen. I got three ideas here. It's either just mm-hmm. flat damage increase on their charge, which is boring. And I think that's what French has already. So probably not that it could be AOE charge damage where you hit like a unit and it does Tramples like splash damage. In their path. Yeah, I could see that. Um, 
or it's charge damage, but your unit doesn't stop, and you can hit things if you charge, and there are you like right click on a unit in the back row, and there are a bunch of like archers in front. You just boom, 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 charge right through, hit all of them with charge damage, potentially. Mm. You know what this unit reminded me of, actually? Have any of you three played uh, Battle for Middle-Earth? Uh, no. I have not. Okay. No, it was not. a Battle for Middle-Earth. It was, a, it was an uh, RTS game, but it was Lord of the Rings-based, and you went oh. through, like, Lord of the Rings campaign and all that kind of stuff. The Rohirrim from Rohan, the writers of Rohan for that game, had this ability where you could charge through, basically, an enemy, you know, battalion of something, and the units would actually fall down and get back up and then start attacking. Uh, I don't think, just because of how many other units are in AoE, I'd be surprised if they made an animation specifically just for a cataphract trample, but I, th- that's the first thing it brought my attention to. Tim, to. Tim, if they're bringing a physics engine in for, like, for ragdolling in with this expansion, please, I would be... Please, 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 please. Someone who loves the great bombards. I like, want that to see guys flying. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> uh, I'll give him a blank check. I'll be like, just take my money. Just take my care. money. <laughs> Dang, that'd be Sell my firstborn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm so. curious uh, if cataphracts. It's it's talking about the powerful lance, so it's certainly something with charge damage. I wonder if they're going to have similar bonuses like they did in AOE two, where they negate anti cavalry bonus damage, mm-hmm. so that spears do not do any extra damage against cataphracts in. In AOE two, I wonder if that's going to be that would. I mean, how would you that's counter? Crazy. What would be the counter then, though? Right? What would the yeah. counter be? I mean, I think uh, it would, I, if they did that, crossbows. if they did that, I think it would be absolutely busted. Yeah, unless, okay. unless that's not, like, that sounds. The only way you wrong. could possibly balance that is if you made so like uh uh like maybe this I, this wouldn't work though. They'd have to completely rewrite the game. But if like towers and keeps and TC fire did more damage to them or something. Like that's well, the only way thinking, to, to you gotta give a bonus somewhere so they can't if just you, dive. If you take a look at like because it's like a second layer, two layer rock paper scissors thing for mm-hmm. all the units in AOE four. So if the cataphract was on paper like weaker than a knight, and a knight could take a cataphract one on one, and crossbows were doing the bonus damage potentially. I don't know. I'll be very interested to see. I mean, we're gonna have to have. I mean, we're doing all these episodes talking about all these things coming up, and we're gonna just have to do it all again when we actually get the real stats on all these sieves. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm very curious to see how that's gonna work. But we've got a number of other things to look at too. Uh, the next one in the line, Varangian guards, uh, Dude, imperial imperial bodyguards this. drawn from uh, northern Europe and beyond. Varangian guards are powerful elite soldiers by stowing their shield and swapping it for a great two-handed axe. Varangian guard trade armor for a significantly increased burst of damage with their berserking ability. That sounds Pretty awesome. Much so you can Pretty much got Vikings in the game. You now. can just hit the berserk button, screw armor, and just go full glass cannon. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah uh, seems interesting. Like you go into a battle, you fight. You've got the Varangian guards. You take out their archers with the normal, like because I'm assuming they're kind of men at arms, like. And then once the archers are dead, you just switch into. Uh, berserk mode and kill all the melee units mm-hmm. that was a micro right there yeah that'll be very micro intense i think I'm very now, are, they, too. are they replacing the men at arms or these are addition i bet this is an yeah. addition i think, I think this is addition, a, yeah. one of the mercenary units okay Ooh. okay 
Yeah, pretty much it's just dub just because I just want to introduce Vikings in the game. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't say it replaces anything, whereas like Cataphract flat out replaces yeah, the replaces knight. This one it doesn't say yeah. that, so I would say it's probably an additional unit. You, you know, know, funny enough, berserking is also what I do when I go on a loss streak in this game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we talked yeah, about that, haven't we? It's yeah. red. But um, uh, yeah, like I'm. But I was saying though, with the Fringing Guard though, like, I mean, this is probably the most, the unit I've been like, I don't know why. I watched a whole YouTube video on like just unique units of history. And that's what the Fringing Guard. And like, I've been like, I just knew that when the business teams were actually announced, I was like, dude, they got to include the Fringing Guard. Like, just saying, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, like, me, I, I look at things in a way more simplistic way. Just like, just thinking of like, just like some Nordic, like, you know, Northern Europe mercenaries, like, just, elite armored vikings just storming battlefield berserking out in armor like this right here i think this right here i think is going to be a very popular unit like it has to be i i, I feel like some of the unit i make even if it's not even though the counter i do be crossbows all on the field i'm just gonna still make these because they just look these right here. Hopefully, they. Uh, I wonder, like, what I'm wondering about the the military in this is there gonna be any type of influence? Like, was there? Is there do they have like an influence unit? Like, 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 if this unit's on the field, it gives boost to other units. I mean, besides like the men for see. Ottomans, but not for here. Well, yeah, I'm trying, yeah, like I'm trying to see. Like, I'm trying to see. Like, I thought maybe like, see, I'm no nothing I'm seeing on here has an influence. Like maybe I think the business team just have an influence economically. There's no military influence right. benefit. They've got the cistern influence for stuff. Yeah. I think it looks like with Varingian Guard and maybe some of the other ones, their units are more of like stance switching units where you switch different mm-hmm. different stances kind of thing. Uh, we've we seen a lot more of that. We've seen a lot more of that. Like it was a click a button and you could change. Like, like I find that the, the DLC, the, the units are way more dynamic. Like they can, they you click, you know, I'm, I'm assuming maybe W or E, and you can, can like pretty much rewrite the whole aspect of the unit, which I'm I'm pretty excited for that. And I hope I always, yeah. I'm always balanced as well, though. I hope I, I I'll be really sad if DLC comes out and everybody's complaining about being unbalanced, which I think is gonna happen. It's but gonna it's, have it's to be, any, but that'll be okay. Game. Someone it's is game. going to complain. Yeah, it's any game. It's any game. The first paid DLC for new civs, it's going to happen. But I mean, it's it's going to be a little pay to win for a bit, but they'll still balance it eventually. Uh, I still yeah. can't believe you, Young, that they're calling it DLC and not an expansion. I, yeah, Please. yeah. It's I mean, it's, 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 it's an expansion. It's for sure. Yeah, it's for sure an expansion. This yeah. really is. Yeah, I need, I need to stop doing that, too. It is an expansion. Um, next on the list, uh, this is the RAM that uh, your your girlfriend told you not to worry about. Um, <laughs> the, I'm going to say it wrong. The Kuro Sifen. I got that one better this time. Uh, we mentioned this as a replacement to the Ram. The Kirosifen sprays jets of Greek fire. These flames remain over time, leaving burning ground that deals damage to anything caught in the blaze. The, well, the implications of this. Worried, worried about something that leaves burning damage over time. I, you know, the hell with her. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like this is something that's going to make micro really important right mm-hmm. i mean obviously you know if you're in a, a wide landscape like a dry arabia per se you can always just walk around it right but there's particular maps things like altai which i ban and i'm happier because of it but there's other maps that have specific choke points like the pit even just for one where you have a small enough battlefield in a small enough landscape 
where you might be able to create an opportunity with these where the only way that somebody can attack your army is through those flames. Yeah, the the micro possibilities, even even on those open, even on those open maps, Tim, you could force your opponent to go around and better micro your units in place to receive them. I mean, there's the amount of like controlling literal ground control this can give you is unseen in this game. The only thing that comes even remotely close that I can think of is besides just walling, uh, I guess English longbows have the little pilings, but that's like nothing compared to what this sounds like, you know? Yeah, I mean, this like uh, this is probably one of my favorite units that they're going to come out with in Age of Empires. And I think the reason why is because of its proactivity. For me, I don't necessarily like playing reactive sims. I don't like reacting my opponent. I like to take the game to them. So in something like a Kirosifen with the ram and the flames, you could try to be like, oh, based on their spawn, their two gold resources that are closest to the map are kind of next to each other. I'm just going to spray a bunch of fire around and be like, hey, you want gold? Come get it. Ah, your gold is now right. on fire. Yeah, yeah that's great. No, you think about what's the other area denial unit in this game, and it's not a unit. It's either outposts or keeps, yeah. and those are like <laughs> those are stagnant defenses that require a lot of resources to take down. I'm sure, you know, the Kira Sifon, when it sprays out the fire, yeah, it's there. It denies an area, but that's temporary, and it requires constant upkeep from the player that it controls hero siphon to keep using in a skillful manner instead of just dropping down for example a berkshire and just being like well you're not going here for the rest of the game yeah and i bet it has some kind of cooldown mechanic too so it's not like you it's just gonna be broken mm-hmm. either like, there's gonna be a counterplay to it right like that and I, I like that yeah, I think with every, and I say this while casting too, I think every player has a certain amount of mental bandwidth. So to extend on Beal's point, there's, with the, if there is a cooldown for this Kiro Stephen, and I would imagine uh, the cooldown might not be as long just because mm-hmm. it's fire. I would imagine yeah. taking it to cooldown would, you know, be a while. But the, that's the third. Can I hear the bell, please? <laughs> yeah. Cooldown and fire. Pretty good. Somebody, oh. hello. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, with this, like the I co- I completely lost my point, guys. After the pun, he was just for it. Yeah, that, no, that, you no. fell into the classic blunder. I'm yeah. jumping in. I'm jumping in. I think uh, uh, Tim was talking about how uh, everybody has like the because it's an RTS. One of the big resources besides the four in the game are things that the player can keep track of in their head at the same time um, yes. and refreshing. The area denial from the Kiro Siphon um, is definitely a skill ceiling thing because it will take more investment from the player uh, who has the Kiro Siphon to keep that going than it would be, like I said, if you just drop a keep or a Berkshire in a certain place. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm I'm on board now, guys. Um, you're exactly right. Tim is rebooted. He's back. There's a yeah, because there's like there's a level of. And I think that shows the skill level of certain players, you know, for these really top pro level players that you're watching on these high level tournaments, they can do everything with all of that muscle memory. So it doesn't take a lot of bandwidth to do. So things like queuing villagers, things like making military, they've done that for thousands of games and they've spent so many hours doing it. So for them, 
it's just like if you practice shooting a free throw over and over again, you know, so for something like this, for a Kiro Sifon, it's something you actually need to actively pay attention to and to figure out, you know, the cooldown time or the right time to actually go back to it and get the Greek fire going. And I think that's something that players are going to have to get used to. I think I think it, it makes a lot of sense why Beastie has been reportedly saying this is going to be the hardest sieve uh, to play. Like it could be very difficult because it looks like, I mean, a lot of little micro things to make these units super powerful. The ceiling for this sieve is probably astronomical and it's going to come down. I, I'm betting some of the top players who can be really good at this are going to dominate with it because it sounds like it's one of those. The more you can put into it, the more it will give you, which is really scary as far as like uh, what it can do. Right. Because, I mean, obviously, the higher you're I mean, if you've got a guy who's got uncapped potential, basically, uh, he's never going to lose then with this sieve. Right. This might be just like unparalleled because it just he's going to be just better. Right. So this this sieve is going to be scary, I think. You know, I might be in the minority in this, but like, I think this is how a civ should be designed. I want a civilization that plays as good as I play it. You know, it's mm. not like how I, I always say this for uh, Caleb, even though he's not here this week to defend himself. But I say this about HRE in more of a jest where you could just drag your face across the keyboard and get relics to win the game. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It takes like, a lot of skill to play HRE blind, especially in a... Uh you know, grudge match. Setting yeah, where you yeah. Really you know, it's, it's not before. super easy it's to pick up blind as opposed to the guy who's got Abyssin for the first roll, time. Yeah, uh-huh. real hard, real hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, if you guys haven't, the... check out the YouTube uh, video. We, we've got a, a grudge match. Me and Beal went, uh, went. Actually, the only one that's posted right now is the one where I, I took him to the yard and uh, smacked him around on a uh, holy island. But uh, uh, spoilers, yeah, you should go watch it. It's great. Whoa. Uh, but then the next two, you know, Beal, Beal's destroyed me. So, you know, whatever. More spoilers. <laughs> More spoilers. Go watch it. Go watch it. It's great. Uh, what, was, what were we saying? I got caught up in all the, the smack talk. Uh, HRE. Uh, HRE, yeah, HRE's level yeah. of execution. I, I think there's like a medium to this, Tim, because I, I both agree and disagree, because I think one of the things that make this game better than AOE 2 is that it's not a micro game per se. It's not about who can micro better. And that is the one thing I do worry about with Byzantines is is it going to be just a micro game where, oh, I can dodge your projectiles better? Like, that's that's not something I'm OK with leaving behind an AOE, too. That said, I also understand, like, it shouldn't be so easy that like a caveman can do it. Like, right. We don't want to make this a Geico commercial. Like, it should well, be I mean, yeah, enough. I, I, like, oh, go ahead. I, I think based on your example, the suction of things like dodging arrow, like that's something that every Civ can do. Right. And that's something that I actually agree with you on that specific point. I think that's useless micro that doesn't need to exist. Right. Um, but for this particular civilization, I feel like when it comes out, everyone's going to start at ground zero. Like the muscle the muscle memory to make bills might be there, but the muscle memory to do anything else feels like mm -hmm. you're starting over again. So it's like everybody wipes the slate and this is a completely new sieve that people have to get used to. I think that's what's getting the excitement for me. That's yeah. Fair. How long did it take for like Malians to really settle into their current meta? Yeah, it did because that was while, also yeah. pretty different um, just with the different units and the pit mines. And, you know, you, you saw the different metas since it was released. Like it was like it wasn't always Farimba at first and then someone figured out Farimba and then like that was okay always Farimba and then that got some nerfs and then it turned into Warrior Scout Madness for a while where it was just oh, nothing yeah. but Warrior Scouts um, and now it's settled on Cowboom uh, but I, I feel like Malians have have been a sieve where people need to relearn basically everything but how to build Vils um, yeah 
but Byzantines seems a little better to go against. Uh, like you were saying, Tim, I really, I really like the fact that you can disrupt their passive income fairly easily. Mm. I think if you can destroy one of those walls of the aqueduct, I don't know what it takes. Mm-hmm. If it takes a Ram or a siege unit, um, but that there is counterplay that isn't focused on the specific like gold mines. You can just hit a wall that they had to run out in the middle of nowhere to connect another cistern or whatever. Yeah, that's, and again, we're, and this is all so speculative because we don't really know how it's going to play just yet either. But yeah, it, this, it's going to be, this will be really interesting to see. I, I'm, I don't, I wish I had a grab. I wish I knew, I wish I had insider knowledge of how the Civ actually plays, but, uh, but alas, we are stuck with just what we have on AOE, uh, ageempires.com. There is one more unit we have to get to though. Uh, the Limitani. I probably said it wrong. I'm just going to go with it. Uh, engage the shield. These are spearmen. So engage the shield wall with the Byzantine spearmen replacement. The Limitane, uh, while active, a shield wall drastically reduces incoming range damage at the cost of movement and attack speed. I like this. I like this a lot because too. it gives. Because I, I already, I, I'm looking at this. I already know. So obviously, range units aren't going to be as effective against them, but they're going to have a harder time catching up to horsemen. And men at arms are going to sweep these guys, right? Because if they're slower, you can be able to just charge right up and get to them. I like that there's some some micro that'll be involved, and that there's definitely some counterplay and some some big trade offs. I like I like seeing trade offs in this game. I think that's one thing that they're going to do right with the Byzantines is that all these things, like even like the Berserker having the uh, berserking ability, you're also going to take more damage too with those uh, Varangian guards. So I do think that the trade offs they're going to give will make it viable at least it's not kind of like you said like like tim agreed with like the useless micro i don't think it's going to be useless micro it's going to be decision based like is it worth it to put in that effort to swap over or not and i think that's going to make some really good play style for this yeah because yeah. i think like doing things to go to go back on that point too things like dodging arrow fire like it's boring it's mm-hmm. boring to do that. You're picking up uh, me personally i mean for other people they might enjoy it and good for them but for me like it's just like you're just clicking two different points on the map at the right time. It almost feels like a, a pattern game or like a DDR kind of thing instead of an Age of Empires game. So for Limitane, I think my only gripe about it is, well, how much attack speed is going down? How much movement is going down? Because that's probably the the crux of balancing this unit in the first place, because in Feudal Age, you make these limited A, and if you can drastically reduce range damage, suddenly you don't have a counter anymore, right? So the right. archers aren't going to be as good. So how much am I reducing the actual effectiveness of the limited A? So, because I want it to be, because their counter doesn't exist anymore because of the drastic reduction, is the, is the movement speed and attack speed going to be drastically reduced also? If it's not, then this unit is completely busted. If it is proportionally, then it's fine. Yeah, no, I, it's got to be a trade-off because feudal age gameplay is so balanced on that rock, paper, scissors. Um, and that's why when the English rush from my base with early men at arms, they, you know, get out of here because that's, <laughs> that's not part of what I want in feudal. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy uh, the interplay of the rock, paper, scissors. I hope like you're saying that it really does drastically reduce movement um attack speed i don't care if movement's reduced 
to like a crazy amount and you still run a night near it, like that's your fault. Um, yeah. You shouldn't have done that in the first place. But and I'm also curious about the cooldown switching back and forth. But the fact that you've got the feudal age rock, paper, scissors, and you've got this rock unit that you can be like, oh, it's paper now. <laughs> and then switch like, oh, it's back to rock. Like, I think that's really interesting. Um, because like what's the version right there? Because what's the main goal of Spearman in Feudal Age? And I'll talk in a vacuum. We'll just talk about Feudal Age for for a bit just because it's easier to wrap your head around. But for Spearman, the actual goal of them is to protect archers. You know, they're not a DPS unit. They're a DPS unit to horsemen, you know, but that's pretty much it. So you just want to make sure your archers don't get a surround. You want to make sure that DPS unit, which is your archers, can stay alive and pick off anything that it necessarily needs to. Maybe the other archer mass, the other spearmen, stuff like that. So I hope, I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm microing these units and my spearmen, I just keep with my archers. And sometimes my archers stand still. So if movement speed gets reduced, I'm not sure if I care that much. That makes sense. It's gonna, this is going to be I'm so interesting much, to yeah. see. I think about that. Yeah, like I said, like pretty much spearmen, all they pretty much are, they really are there to protect your and, archers. And not even just archers. Calibre. I mean, sometimes you use them to protect your key resources when you're trying to age up if you're getting rushed. I mean, mm -hmm. I think of like yeah, gold, yeah. your gold pit. You're going to put a two right there. If you've if you got a French player going all in on you, you're going to park some spears on your gold just to keep it alive so you can get to castle age. Yeah. No, and to that point, like if a spearman is using its movement speed and chasing uh, the unit that it counters, it doesn't matter anyway because it's not going to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, spearmen are just a defending unit. They're just defending, like they're not really on offensive. They get used offensively sometimes, but really, I feel like their main purpose is defending. Tim was talking. My brain went to like the MMO triangle of like, okay, archers are your DPS, uh, mounted units are your tanks, and spears are supports. Yeah, Basically. you know what's funny is that's kind of how I perceive it. I wasn't a big MMO player in my past. And neither like, am I. Yeah, they uh, every single one of those units have a role. You know, and if you're not using them to the role that they're supposed to be in, that's Miss Micro, and you're going to lose battles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't think about that. That's actually crazy. I mean, with that they adjustment, really too, with the Spearman, I mean, I guess you could use them. Sometimes you use them as like a front line, like a cheap front line if you're producing them in mass, right? And usually, obviously, your archers are behind that still. Uh, but I guess I guess you could I could see that being a good again, it's it's protecting the, the, the archers, but they could be like a semi front line still. But if you're in a big fight, maybe against like some men at arms, maybe if you are getting like English men at arm rushed, I could see you parking some of those big bad boys up front and then just letting your archers behind. That way the longbows don't pick them off. So you can let the men at arms deal with them while you're picking off their archers. I, I could see some play. I could see a lot of plays going with this. All right. Well, shall we get to Byzantine through the ages? We've got some uh, insights on the different ages going up here. So in age one, dark age, the Byzantines and establish the first cistern and start of a future aqueduct network. Villagers gain a gathering bonus while when within range of the cisterns and buildings within influence can benefit from a variety of different enhancements. I'm very curious to see if this is like replacing a mill or if it. No, the, no, I see. Actually, there's a mill. There still is a mill I'm seeing in this picture, actually. So this is just its own unique building as well. Interesting. I'm curious so, yeah, what I the cost the, is going to be if it's a stone cost. I, I'm curious. Yeah, I, think I, I heard, I heard uh, stones going to be a bigger deal with the Byzantine. I mean, that was my prediction. Said. That was my prediction from a couple weeks ago. But I think it would track. It looks like it's built out of stone. There's a little bit of wood on top, but it looks like it's primarily built out of stone. What if it's and, both? Th th this is one of those things that's like, 
it's so difficult to talk about like, oh, is this going to be broken or is this going to be stupid? You know, and like there's no <laughs> way to like possibly know that because, again, how much does a cistern cost? What resources yeah, we've got does it no cost? idea yet. How What's, much influence does it benefit? How big is the benefit? Is it even worth it? Are broken. All these different enhancements that we know about, they're completely broken. Yeah, they are. Age <laughs> uh, right two, now, yeah. Whatever they are. Age two, whatever that is, it's all broken. It's all broken. Age uh, two, the grand, you have got a couple of, uh, two different, obviously the two landmarks. You got the grand winery creates the opportunity in age two to recruit mercenaries and provides an olive oil production boost to villagers gathering nearby. Uh, this age also brings it the opportunity to quickly produce cavalry units via the Imperial Hippodrome. Yeah, the Hippodrome is quite interesting. One of the, I mean, just for historical reference that I can kind of give you at this point was from me playing Civ Six as Byzantium because a Hippodrome is a unique building that you can make that operates as an entertainment complex. Um, when you do actually make it in Civ Six, you get an immediate a uh, heavy cavalry unit. So something like a cataphract as soon as the hippodrome is made. Mm. So there is some play with, you know, things like entertainment in medieval Byzantium with cavalry and all that kind of stuff. It makes me think of medieval jousting. Yeah. Wasn't the hippodrome in like Roman times where chariot races were held in a hippodrome? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Dude, when do we get chariot riders, man, that'd be sweet. Not quite medieval. That's, that's, that's a bit. That's a bit more. Uh, we go. That's, that's, hey, we won. Yeah, yeah. So that's the wrong, wrong side. We're, we're in the medieval times here. Uh, age three. The Byzantines choose between the Golden Horn Tower or the Cistern of the First Hill. The former allows the civilization to automatically recruit mercenaries at no cost, whereas the latter provides a powerful healing effect via the Pilgrim Flask technology. I gotta say, right off the bat, I'm picking number one, Golden Horn Tower. Give me the free mercenary units. That to me sounds like a win slam dunk especially going to castle age where you're hopefully trying to get online and aggressive uh the other one just sounds kind of like an abbey of memes knockoff uh that's just me again we have no we have no idea how big mm -hmm. that range of healing effect is uh what all that else okay. that it could do but for you know usually other, a win for thoughts, me. other thoughts reverse thoughts uh golden horn yeah. tower for me sounds like uh just like a military school for the Byzantines for their well, like, like a, a cognate palace, like a cognate palace. Like yeah. it's just like a bunch Ooh, of. Because like, if, if, if you look, if you look at those uh, units, they look like Abbasid. Uh, they look like Abbasid men at arms. They look like Gulams. Yeah, maybe I'm. Oh, you're maybe right. I'm you're tripping. right. Are those I, and are those Kashyyyk? Are those like that? Looks like you kind of go around like just recruiting from like you know the mercenaries, you know, just hired soldiers. So. I just got a bunch of units from different civilizations. Probably a little, maybe a little bit of a spin on the Cognitive Palace, but the, but the Pilgrim Flash technology, like the this uh this sister in the first hill, this looks kind of like the how like it's probably was it like what kind of healing is it AOE healing? Like is it like a unit they produce? Like so, yeah, something. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, my <laughs> guess based on, on what know. I've heard, <laughs> based on what I've heard, and what's what's like floated out as rumors. Um, that it's like a rechargeable heal. Um, mm. So my brain automatically went to, I don't know how many of you played Warcraft three, but the night elves got a building called the moon. Well, mm. um, and it would slowly generate charge over time. Um, but when you, you, you moved your units over to it, it would use that charge and heal all of your units. And so okay. I'm wondering if this turns your cisterns, kind of into night elf moon wells 
the only thing I wish I I didn't play a lot of Warcraft three, so I wish I had something to piggyback off your point. But what I will say is, if you do the Grand Winery at age two, right, then you do the Cistern of the First Hill, but age three, where you get a flask. I'm gonna be drunk by Imperial. <laughs> I mean, again, cistern Blacked of the first out. hill. Is this another? Is this going to act as an economic building as well? If it is a cistern, I mean, that to me, if uh, cisterns are cisterns, right? That give you the economic, like little fielding range of the perks. That to me sounds like an extra cistern as well. So maybe it acts as multiple things. I mean, that. Oh yeah. You know, I would imagine they might work as a giant cistern as well. On top of that, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably an economic yeah. landmark. So most likely, probably the, the former is probably uh, you know the military the landmark. Military landmark. Is. Yeah, it's gonna be the economic. I mean, Golden so Horn Tower sounds. I mean, I wonder if that's gonna have any kind of like castle like, list. Uh, I wonder if it's gonna act as a castle or not. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. We that. really just don't know. But it, that I mean, White Tower is a thing. I, I don't know. It's 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 so vague. It's gonna be really hard to know what is gonna be what. But age four, um, age four comes with the option of either producing siege engines across from across the known world with the aid of the foreign engineering company. Or strengthening and training additional units from the core Byzantine roster from the Palatine School. Mm. I like both you of know, these I a lot. I love uh, Nesta Bees, and I'd love to have an excuse to play with them without having to be China. Yeah, oh yeah. I think I think that there's a lot of caveats to this. So from producing siege engines from across the known world, obviously there's a Nesta Bee right there on the picture, but can I choose to build it? Or is it mm-hmm. gimmicky like the Congate Palace? Oh, and what other unique siege units are there, right? I mean, you got the Great Bombard, you've got the Hui Hui Pao. I was just going to say that. If you could build the Hui Hui Pao out of this thing, oh my God, I'm going to pow people in the next year, brother. Culverains, <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe yeah, can you get Culverains from this thing? I mean, is it just open up like the door to all siege units? Because that'd be pretty busted. Well, I think that Ayubid's got new CG units as well. Oh, that's true. You can pull out one of those big boy uh, towers. What were those called again? Uh, that and the, like the Manganel replacement or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You, you know, I, this is kind of off topic, but like, this is something that's kind of like, I wish this, like, I wish the Byzantines had the uh, Hagna Sophia as their wonder. Like that, it kind of you know does that it's with the Ottomans, like which makes sense, I guess, because they you know eventually became, you know, they eventually they eventually sat Constantinople and made it Istanbul. But like I feel like the Hagna Sophia, like the church, like I feel like that was like super important. With I mean the Byzantines built it. That's an like, amazing just, point. Actually, you're like, because like, I was I, I'm, I'm very happy that somebody mentioned the Hagia Sophia, because now here's another soliloquy. So the um, Hagia Sophia was actually built when the East Roman Empire was in its infancy. It was about like the third century, fourth century mm-hmm. uh, CE, and it was originally a Christian temple. It's been switched in religions in multiple instances all the way up until I've read news articles from 2020 about the Hagia Sophia becoming a modern day mosque um, where it's yeah. more of an uh, Islamic worship building. So I think there's enough discrepancy there where maybe they just wanted to avoid that. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense, I guess. That makes sense. I, I, I feel like for historically accuracy, like I feel like just being historically accurate, I feel like, you know, during the time period takes place that the Hagia Sophia would be a Byzantine landmark. 
Like is Iron like is that the biggest their biggest creation? Like the most yeah, so I, I got the wiki up right now. I'm looking at it. Uh, so it was an Orthodox church um, until uh, 1204. It was Catholic in between that to 1261. Switched back to Orthodoxy. And then I'm assuming uh, with, the, with the siege of Constantinople, uh, it switched to a mosque in 1453. Okay. Because even even in, in game, the, it's like the uh, when you the Ottoman. I looked it up. The Ottoman, um, the Ottoman wonder is called the Azur Mas. It's not even called like you know when you play it when you you know playing it in game. It's literally the Hagna Sophia. Like, uh, but it's a it's called the Azur Mas. Let me make sure I'm hundred percent correct on that. But I believe, I, yeah, I believe they basically hijacked if that. If that's true, just basically the architecture of the Hagia Sophia, if that's what the wonder really looks like. That would make sense historically, right? Because the Ottomans yeah. and Imperial Age, they would have Constantinople. Or, yeah, uh, you're right. I guess that makes sense. You know, so maybe I'm just an idiot. That might <laughs> that might be that might that might that might actually be make more sense. By the time you had Imperial, yeah, Constantinople was uh was was now no longer the powerhouse it was. It's it pretty much was Istanbul at that time. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe maybe you see this is why the developers this is why they this is why they get paid the big bucks because maybe that does make sense. They do their research, man. They do their research. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that makes sense. I I want to finish with the Byzantines by saying, dang, do they look good in purple. Dude, purple, I think, is the worst color in the game. It looks good for this save. It looks really good. All right, Neville's just said purple was the worst color of the game. I'm never coming back here. (laughs) (laughs) You like purple? You like purple? Purple is my favorite color, not just in anime. Oh, dude, I'm no life. disrespect. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> but you, dude, you son of a... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I need to, you need to leave. But, yeah, actually, <laughs> but actually, like, the fact that they're purple has historical reference. Yeah, um, it does. Oh. The actual, yeah, the actual uh, purple comes from before the Byzantines existed. So this was in Phoenicia, um, basically in the uh, one of their big cities of Tyre or Tyr, however, however how you pronounce it. But um, basically in Phoenicia, there was a specific kind of mollusk that they would use to actually generate the color purple and have natural purple dye oh, yeah, to the point where actual artificial purple dye was not invented until 1850. Whoa. Yeah, so people that were... Going like when purple was always identified as a regal color or the royal color because of how expensive it was. That's dope. Okay, that makes even more sense now. That's why it's my favorite color. (laughs) Oh, wow. So now I really look like a fool. Yeah, that's what you get (laughs) for talking smack. All right. (laughs) So, So what's your least favorite playable color in the game? My least favorite. Um... What do you probably probably blue because I think it's an exploit, and the reason oh, that <laughs> and, dude that is breaks my heart. I think blue is one of the like for a competitive standpoint. I think blue is the best, one of the best in the game. Oh, uh, you play a blue civilization on water, where sometimes it's difficult <laughs> yeah, for me horrible. to see the blue dots yeah. compared to the water. Yeah. Nah, did you, uh, did, you, yeah. did you watch that VT video? Because I was like, I did not. No, dude, <laughs> no, dude I'm telling you, he brings that up, dude. I did not realize it's almost like maybe it's made it like an extra sheet. I don't know. Maybe I should say that because like that's something I actually learned, like how colors actually, from a competitive standpoint, matter. Hmm. Like we, uh, I'm just, I like, just picked teal every like, time because I, I, it was because uh, originally, remember when this game first came out? Just to give you guys a reminder of how far we've come, uh, you used oh, yeah. to not be able to pick your color. Crazy. Wild. 
it was yeah. red or blue and you just didn't have any say and that was it uh we wanted something crazy though like this like some a lot of pro players because i guess the worst color for a competitive play is red oh you because red really is well. super easily to spot on the map so like for example like the muslim like he will play on like when he plays solo matches he would not have unique colors on so whatever you choose he no matter what he always sees red as the enemy huh. and that actually makes a difference like i did not realize that like if you take off unique colors and so it's like you can still pick your color in games you can still like say you're playing a water map or whatever map you're going to play you can still pick your color that your enemy's going to see in game but you will always see them as red and like I'm telling you right now, it actually like it's not it's not gonna make you it's not gonna make you a conquer player, but like what? it literally oh. like <laughs> it it actually makes that, a little bit of a difference. Like like Beast made a whole video, and I didn't even watch the video. I'm thinking like all right, whatever. But I watched it one day, and I'm like, oh, he actually has some science to this. Like this, the colors do matter. And I think competitively, I don't know where purple ranks. I think he I think I think gave purple a D tier. I'm not gonna lie, but it, I, I, I think he's being. <laughs> we weird. need to do a tier list of the colors. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I I, so ever since they added the extra colors of the game, I'm I'm a blue guy through and through. I love blue, but they I I, it, it's the basic color. So when they add all the other colors, it's like ooh, teal. That's even brighter, nicer blue. And so I've been a teal guy ever yeah. since. Uh, teal, probably, teal is my number one. When I went to, I do relax. I, I've been going yellow a lot lately. I don't know why. Which I heard it's not good either. My fault. Uh, anyways, topic. anyways, <laughs> um, it's time again. <laughs> For another variant sieve coming at us. Let's get down to business. This time, our business is actually in China. We're gonna try and defeat the Huns uh, or the Mongols, whichever comes first. Uh, Zuji's <laughs> legacy, uh, Sushi's legacy. I, I've heard a lot of pronunciations. I think it's supposed to be Zuji's legacy. I think that's the best way I could say it. I don't know. I don't speak Chinese. I'm, as we've said, a red-blooded American through and through. I have a horrible accent with stuff like this. Uh, but let's take a look at it. So. Tim, I'm sure you're just thrilled to know that China is getting a expansion sieve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, if you take a look at the outline, he says you're uh, not usually, happy about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, basically, I make Socrates give me the outline maybe like the morning before, like the day before, so I can make notes. And my very first sentence that I'll read verbatim is the fact that this variant exists irritates me. But here we go. Some <laughs> history. So, so Tim, Tim, since you're our resident uh, historian, sorry, Sir Neville, you've been supplanted by. Tim today. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tim, I recognize my place. Who I recognize is Juji? So I'm going to I'm going to pronounce it as Zushi because Zushi? that's okay. that that's what it looks like. And to me and again, with being an American, much like Socrates, and I do want to kind of give a shout out to how much the social sciences fails us in high school and middle school, because all of these things that I read about in Eastern history asian history and all that kind of stuff we get a lot of western history in our upbringing so a lot of these things we've become familiar with eastern history not so much so a lot of these things that i took a lot of research for me to actually come up with a few good sentences on what to do and i obviously believe everything i ever read on the internet so if these mm -hmm. are correct or incorrect it's because of whatever source i'm giving and it's not coming out of my mouth but here it comes out of my mouth so who is zushi so essentially he was a scholar slash philosopher historically credited credited with getting the religious synthesis of two dynasties which we know in the game which is the song and ming dynasty around the 12th century common era with neo-confucianism and basically neo-confucianism to break it down is a combination of three different religions that were prominent in 
China and a lot of the Eastern Asian countries, one being Buddhism, one being Confucianism, obviously, and the other one being Taoism. Where Taoism is more of a philosophy than a religion, but we're not, this isn't a philosophy podcast. It is now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I do want to say, and the reason, I guess the reason why they named it so is because as Socrates will talk about in getting the dynastic units for China, you're getting them a little bit earlier. You're getting them during that Song Dynasty to Ming Dynasty split. So I can understand with historical reference why they named it so. And I know on Reddit, a lot of people are upset that they named it this way. I personally don't have a preference. I'll call it whatever they want me to call it. But my favorite Zushi quote, just because he's a philosopher, we got to cut some of his quotes, is only by carefully considering each set of circumstances and following what's called for by those circumstances can one act in accord with the appropriate course of action. Basically saying that in order to make the correct action, you can't be results oriented. You have to give your best theoretical guess of probabilities to make yourself get the action that is so desired. Mm. That's strong. That's powerful. All right. Now, Socrates, take it away. Give me some actual in-game. <sighs> okay. So uh, it's a variant, obviously, of the Chinese. Of, um, it'll be available this coming November. Uh, the teachings of philosopher Zhu Ji reshaped the Chinese civilization is what this says. Uh, it says that his legacy, the Chinese boast a sophisticated administration with superior imperial officials as if they weren't already good enough as they were. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't edit. I should not editorialize too much. I should leave it to Tim. He'll do plenty of that. Nah, in a second. Give me it. Give uh, me all of it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, uh, the brimming treasury helps to establish powerful dynasties and research a breadth of unique technologies, recruit palace guards, juganus, and grenadiers early on to protect the empire. I'm reading this almost verbatim from the Age of Empires. I just think I've got a good voice that goes with it, so it may sound like I'm coming up with my own stuff. I'm literally just reading the website, but it sounds really good. So, uh, playing Zuji's Legacy. Zuji's Legacy is a technological powerhouse, as if China wasn't already. Uh, the early bonuses in the Tang and Song dynasties help the civilization advance faster. Great and build towards a bountiful economic foundation. Great. Uh, with a, we, Okay, side. I, we hate on China a lot in this. I, I know, I know. For anyone who's a China man is just so tired of hearing us slander your civ. I'm real, I genuinely am kind of sorry for your nah, choice of poor civ. Uh, but uh, no, no, I, I really, yeah, I don't mean you to... You don't to, to, first place, so let's go. Yeah, I, I don't mean to, to bash too hard, but I, 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 China could be fun. It's just, I hate playing against it. Anyways... With a strong industrial framework, they can vast, uh, field vast amounts of dynasty units early in the game. Combined with the palace guard being available in feudal age, poof, Zuji's legacy can amass great armies of unique units with ease. This sounds like a nightmare to play against. Uh, there are many options for improving Zuji's legacy imperial officials with unique upgrades such as faster movement, higher build limits, and improving the supervisability. Wow, we are going to make this an S tier plus plus unit with Imperial officials catapulting Zuji's legacy into the mid game. The Yuan dynasty synergizes with a strong economy by helping produce more military units. In the Imperial age, Zuji's legacy offers strategic choices for unit upgrades available via landmarks. The Ming dynasty improves unique units, making the Zuji's legacy a force to be reckoned with in the late game. All I hear is that, hey, China's better in the early game. China's better in the mid game. And now China's going to be better in the late game. Um, we talked a lot about French. I, I, there's more to talk about here in this. Um, before we get to that, we talked a lot about the French uh, Jean d'Arc uh, civilization. And we actually, I thought we had a lot of positive to say about that because we kind of realized that uh, a lot of the bonuses that French gets 
as a base sieve probably won't exist with Jean d'Arc. Like they probably won't have a faster villager production time. Uh, things like that we suspect will not be there to kind of keep them both French, but they'll be different, right? There's got to be a trade-off. You can't just have more added greatness. Otherwise, no one will ever go back to your base sieve again. So I'm guessing there has to be something that Zhuzi's legacy will have as a China sieve that the current Chinese civilization won't have. Whether that's build increase speed gone or something, those kind of things that irritate me. I hope that's the case. We don't know. But I guess maybe there are eight landmarks. Well, you can still now, have dynasties, so I'm assuming that's not the case. So I guess to, sh to shed a little light on this, uh, I will say to preface, while Sakashin was reading that, and I read it myself this morning, uh, on both instances, I kind of threw up on my mouth a little bit. But first, <laughs> but first off, for the, the very first thing I want to direct your attention to, because there's a lot of these things that we don't know, right? Uh -huh. There's a lot of the using things like earlier palace guards in feudal age the first time i read that i was like this is going to be bonkers i have yep. no idea why they're doing this i'm pissed off but i don't know how good those early palace guards are going to be mm -hmm. right um i know our our usual chinese counterparts their palace guards don't have as much armor so they have more speed to make up for it so how much armor are they going to have in feudal age is that something that archers can easily take down or otherwise we're not really sure we got to kind of look at we, like english or uh, uh hres like met at arms in feudal that's kind of what you kind of get left with and i think they could even have less armor than something like an early met at arms because they are going to have the movement speed right so there's got to be that trade-off they can't just be a better men at arms like there's mm -hmm. got to be something with it but also the fact that you get an imperial official to start the game you automatically get one like an hre gets a prelate i don't think people understand how absolutely bonkers that is like yeah. having that resource supervise almost immediately which i think the supervise actual uh, mechanic is one of the dumbest things in the game i'm sorry you know everybody who likes china is watching they're gonna be like never bring this guy back and you know what? i don't blame you but i don't care unless maybe i, I mean I, I i start wondering then though like maybe granaries don't exist for one like i assume granaries just could not exist with this because that would just be so bonkersly powerful right like i imagine that maybe that's done away with or maybe they can't supervise military buildings like there's got to be some kind of trade-off to make this work and be balanced you know so i will say in one of the pictures that we haven't gotten to yet there is both a granary and a village oh there is in oh, that geez. picture well, so you do back. get those buildings the one God. thing that's different from this chinese variant as opposed to the main chinese is the actual landmarks are different right so you yeah, don't have the Barbican while going up to age two. So you don't have that powerhouse defensive landmark. So I think even though, you know, we're talking about these early units, I think there's going to be a better potential to have an aggressive China other than mm -hmm. a post-imperial China. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious sense. if uh, supervise is going to be nerfed um, when you've got the IO coming out immediately at the start of the game. If it's instead of 20% extra resources, it's just 10 um, but the trade-off is that you can field more IOs than regular China, especially if like the production speed for supervising something is also lessened. Uh, that may make a difference, but it is if supervise is still as strong on this variant as it currently is, the fact that you don't have to take that time instead of making a villager to make an IO is absolutely crazy. 
Yeah, I think people, I feels like from what I've heard from people, whether it's be in YouTube videos or whatever, like people are just like glossing over that. They're like, oh, okay, they get an IO to start. But it's like, do you really understand the tempo swing that is? <laughs> yeah, that's, having that's having one extra villager 20 seconds into that's the game, extra, you start out with an extra, extra villager. That's an extra drop off. If you immediately go on the berries, that you're going to get a drop off way quicker and have an extra vill. That's, I mean, it's, it's small, and, small, but it's going to really compound. And with the new, I know I'm skipping ahead, but we're on this point. With the Tang Dynasty bonuses, remember the bonuses are different for each dynasty, mm-hmm. for each civilization. For the Tang Dynasty, you don't get the plus 30% scout range, vision range anymore. You get cheaper landmarks to go up to age two. So yeah, you start with an IO. It's cheaper to get up to feudal. You're going to see some of the fastest feudal times. In my, in my opinion, you're going to see some of the fastest feudal times that you're ever going to see. That probably be, uh, puts Akka Chapel once to shame. And I, I, I just, I, I don't see how people aren't going to lose their minds over this one. I've got yeah, to imagine that. That into palace guards? Yeah. Like fast feudal into palace guards. Yeah, like, hello? Like, is anybody paying attention to this? This could be, uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be back here like in a month or two just complaining <laughs> for three hours. It's going to be like, burn the game <laughs> down, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, again, <laughs> there has to be a trade-off. And, I, and I'm guessing, I mean, this isn't going to be enough, but I'm guessing that the build speed has to be one of those things like it's gotta be right mm-hmm. like i imagine that's gotta be the first thing that gets thrown out in the wind right because I, I just can't imagine why that would stay um also the 2tc song isn't going to be a thing with the civilization so no that the eco boom isn't going to be this is not going to be an eco boom with a big military it's going to be just a big military civ so there is some trade-off here i think so so to alleviate maybe some of your fears tim i think we can at least go okay there's not going to be like two TC or two and a thirds TC booming while fielding crazy military. Cause the Barbican, you know, kind of really lets, lets them do that. They can just kind of play passive. And one thing that we really hate about this Civ as it is, is the passiveness that China can just hold up on like a Hill and Dale, sit back, boom, like crazy. And then just march forth an army and just tear you down in Imperial age. This does not sound like that. This sounds like a pressuring attacking go, 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 go kind of Civ, which can be annoying too. I, mean, I remember back when the days when we used to have a, well, even French, when French was dominant, uh, everyone hated the French knights being all over your base. Maybe palace guards will be just like that. Hard to say. Hard to say right now. Uh, but there, there's got to be some trade-offs. Um, let's look at the ages, and then we'll go to the unique units after that. So from age one, the Tang Dynasty enables Zuji's legacy to build cheaper landmarks instead of having greater scouting vision. That honestly sounds like an upgrade to me on my mind. I think screw scouting vision, give me the better landmarks. I, I know it's dark age and scouting matters a lot, but... Faster age ups always going to be better, I think. They also start the game with the Imperial official for fast access to both taxes and the supervisability. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that, that feels. Uh, age two. In age two, Zuji's legacy can build the Meditation Gardens, an economic landmark that generates resources based on what is nearby. But enemy units disrupt the peace and reduce its income. That's an interesting concept we'll get to that in just a second let me finish what the other one is constructing both landmarks will unlock the powerful song dynasty which makes uh, wait oh, did i miss them you can build the meditation uh, they actually did not mention the second landmark um i do remember in one of the pictures actually in a picture that was shown there was an imperial palace so i have a feeling that oh, that maybe is just the second landmark okay okay yeah that makes um, sense but with this so with this landmark and i'm going to keep going on my uh, proactive and feudal age bonkers gameplay for uh, the meditation gardens. If you're being a proactive civilization, like how the French were in season zero, 
right? You have knights, you have archers, you go to your enemy base and attack it. There's never going to be a potential, if you're doing that correctly and you're being proactive, there's never going to be a potential for enemy units to get near this garden because they're always going to be at their home base trying to defend. And if enemy units were there and you're being proactive, you've probably lost the game anyway. So to me, this is not a drawback. I think this is an insane landmark. Yeah, it sounds pretty good, especially if you can put it in the back of your base and then just wall it up. Now, the caveat being it's got to be next to resources. So you got to put it yeah. where you want it to get. So, I mean, if you're looking to get more gold and your gold is forward. You know, you know, maybe maybe they've got a shot. You know, it's hard to say maybe and maybe either TC doesn't shoot gunpowder units shots. I mean, it, it, there's so many things we don't know that could be different with this. But yeah, that, yeah, that, that I could see it being also, either really broken or not. I'm also wondering how well it scales, too. I mean, yeah. you put next to a landmark. You, know, you put next to gold and you exhaust that gold mine. Does then it, what? what is, it it like a, is it like a well? Because like hunting cabins still produce gold even after you chop the trees down, right? Yeah, that that's what I would assume. That's like the only option I would have to assume that will make it scale decently. Like, I mean, you get a percentage of that still, even though you exhaust it. It's interesting once that, like, you exhaust that, if you can find like a spot, kind of like Auckland Chapel, you can you gotta kind of choose where you put it. If you can find like a spot with like all the resources near it, like let's oh, say you got a deer pack, stone, gold, mm-hmm. and wood all like really close, you just pop that sucker right down. I'd be curious to see what the yeah, radius is. And I guess is. maybe start making like rice fields around it, maybe. Like, I oh, guess. Oh, interesting. But, 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 but can you, you, you can't drop off here. I, I'm assuming you can't. So maybe put like a mill next to it or a granary. But even if. So even like, it's if, like a, a Chinese Akin Chapel? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, even if, though, the fact that like if the resources that are around it, you don't get the bonuses once they're exhausted. That's fine. Um, it's such a tempo landmark. It's cheaper to get up into feudal. And if we're running under the impression that you can build palace guards as soon as you hit feudal, which you're going to do because it takes fewer resources. And now you could put this up next to gold and mm. basically just get the passive gold off of this landmark. Only need the villagers on food and Bloody. you can create like a constant stream of palace guards sounds Burger scary rush, but with my even instead of early palace guards because well, the only reason why i'm not extending too much into it is because i don't have the exact specs of the yeah. early palace guard right so yeah. we do have specs on a unit a chinese unit in feudal that is absolutely busted already which is the zoo dude mm-hmm. so you can you can do exactly what Beal said as a build order. Get up to feudal, supervise an archery range. You're popping out Zugnu every six seconds, and now you tell me in a minute with or, or in a minute and twenty seconds or however long it is, twenty Zugnu start coming to your base at a point where you just hit feudal age thirty seconds ago. Tell me oh. what the hell you're gonna do about it. Yeah, this this feels like I, I'm really. And again, we don't know. We don't know exactly how this is gonna play out, but it is. It sounds scary. Uh, moving on to H3, Juicy's Legacy can uh, construct the Mon- Mount Lu Academy uh, landmark, which adds food to tax income. Wow. Uh, the, the amount of mm-hmm. passive income that's going to be coming in. I mean, at least at least they actually, I mean, it's, it's kind of passive. They have to go grab it and bring it back home. So you could kill and focus those guys down when you raid. Uh, so you're not going to be worried about villagers. You're going to be worried about those IOs. But it includes powerful technologies that improve the Imperial official. Uh, then there's the Shaolin Monastery opens up production of the Shaolin Monk 
a powerful martial arts master capable of enduring even the fiercest of attacks. Now, this kind of, forever. That sounds kind of interesting, that like, been, like that religious cool. units that can fight. That's 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 kind of a fun idea. Uh, again, I have no idea how that's going to work. Uh, I think that's one of the units we can talk about in a bit. Age uh, four. In age four, Juzi's legacy has access to the Juzi's library. Uh, a landmark which houses many powerful, unique technologies. However, only a few can be chosen to research. The Temple of the Sun landmark has four powerful toggles which globally improve specific units. Wow. So it's like just a better Griobara. Sounds like. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds like a way better. Pay the gold. And yeah, I, I, I need, I need my better range. I need my, all my range units to be able to have more health or whatever. I need my, my knights to have more damage or whatever. I need my... Griobara. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Landmark. <laughs> I think like you know the one way I'll say the Griabara is better is because when you use the Griabara you have festivities you have festivals right when you're using they're having fun yeah when you're using Temple of the Sun you're there praying you're going to church <laughs> yeah but hey your yeah, arches do like, better come on you know but I will say though for the all the Byzantines uh, bring the olive oil and the wine <laughs> for the, I will. I will say though for Relic, I think that's a big A plus plus and a big thumbs up for the Shailen Monk in terms of actually what they look like. I yeah. think they look super cool. The aesthetic is amazing. Uh, I'm never going to be able to have problems differentiating it with a different unit because uh -huh. it's the only bald unit in the game. Yeah, right? So, so good. Like, like I think every kind of now I don't know any of the specs or the specifics of the monk, but just what they look like, huge thumbs up. I think they look amazing. Yeah, sweet. it's not going to be like a Jav versus Donzo versus like archers you're not gonna have a hard time knowing what these are They're, they stand out they they look like monks they look exactly if you, wonder, you at home who've who never seen counter. this photo they look exactly like what you think uh like a monk would look like now i want to know like what they counter though like what would they most resemble well they just they're super tanky they probably don't do tons of damage they're probably just super tanky interesting i don't know i got no idea what they do i have no idea because <laughs> like i wonder like they're like warrior monks but i'm like Hmm. I wonder if they get a bonus against melee units, but take additional damage against ranged units. Yeah, possibly. I can see that. Oh, okay. Can see that. Like they'd be good against spears and men at arms, but. But then again, I feel like yeah, monks have like that, that like that funny anime trope of being able to catch projectiles. I mean, even in D and D, like if you pick a monk as your character, you have like you can just catch and throw projectiles back at enemies. So I don't know. <laughs> so my my couple theories on this: one with the Shailen monk, and then two for the actual usage of them. The fact that they use the word endure means mm -hmm. it, it brings me back to like almost like pokemon era where if you use the move endure i think i'm right but uh if i'm not you'll have to correct me if you get hit with something that would have killed you you get reduced to one hp instead mm -hmm. that would be something cool that shaylin monk can do like it the one the last night hit should have killed it but it goes down to one hp so you can get that one extra hit that would be pretty cool mm, that'd be interesting. um but secondarily, if I'm, I'm going to die on this hill and everybody can call me wrong after Zushi comes out. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. I just don't think these are going to matter because you're going to win in feudal anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be really interesting to see, huh? Uh, and that leads me to uh, the, the two unique. It doesn't actually unique, unique units doesn't even talk about the monk. It just talked about in the ages. Uh, early palace guards in age two. That's literally all it says about that. The vast infantry unit creates opportunities for early skirmishes and early wins. Uh, Imperial Guard and Yuan Raiders. The Imperial Guard and These Yuan Raider become available once Dynastic Protectors, uh, once uh, once Dynastic Protectors is researched at Zuji's Library Landmark. These powerful cavalry units complement the infantry forces of Zuji's legacy, 
by providing unique characteristics in battle. What those characteristics are, we don't know because it doesn't say. So Sorry, I've gone back and forth in my brain because when I also when I first saw early palace guards, I was like, oh, that is so busted. But then I was thinking in my brain, wait a minute, what would palace guards add that Spear and Jugnu don't already have? Like that is already such an insane combo in feudal. What yeah. role does palace guard play? I guess you can maybe add some of them into the mix. Well, but do they even still have Jugnus? Still, I mean, Jugnus yeah, aren't mentioned yeah. anywhere in this, are they? Yeah, they, they are. are guaranteed to have them in the. Let me see. I'm gonna find it on here. I'm like the the last sentence the of Zeus's legacy: recruit palace guards, Zugnu, and grenadiers okay, early okay, on yep, to protect yep, the empire. Yep, you're right. Okay. The double check. Early grenadiers. Early grenadiers. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like not uh, even mentioned, but they're there somewhere in here. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again. Still doesn't matter. You're gonna win. Uh, that's probably true. That's probably <laughs> true. That's right. I think. I think really the trade-off is because I've I've seen BC talk about the civilization. He's played it. You know, all these pro players that played it. You know, he didn't like you know fully whistle blow, but he was just like, then like there's going to be reasons to still play the regular China. Like like there, there's there's a trade-off. Like something it has to be, know. yeah. Well, I mean, the regular yeah, time like, is yeah. already pretty busted in many ways too. But yeah, like I'm, I'm assuming like just economically, like this. I feel like it sounds really. I sounds think you're really right. Good on paper, but economically, I don't think it's gonna boom nowhere near as good as. I, I think they aren't gonna have the bonus. I don't because Song Dynasty doesn't isn't gonna give them the bonus to villager production. Um, I think they're nope. not. I, I don't. I don't think they're gonna have that build bonus. I really don't think they're gonna. I, I just can't see them having that because I don't think this is meant to be a boom sieve. They're going to be ride and die futile, just like French can be just like a couple of like, and it's going to be, you're kind of shoehorned into that. I think they're going to have a strong feudal castle. And I think by the time they get to Imperial, they're going to flounder a lot more. So I mean, these, are, these early different... palace guards, what if we put them on a pedestal? What if they're like not, I mean, they're going to be nerfed palace guards. I mean, they might not be That's as true. fast. I mean, it looks like they have, they don't have as much armor. Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like it can't, I feel like, I mean, this sieve will get figured out in feudal. I mean, imagine a China and, player with like Jugs, upgraded Jugs and Feudal going into Feudal Palace Guards with not with who don't have an upgrade yet. I mean, you eat yeah. these guys alive, you know, so, so, you know, maybe there's yeah. there's probably room for counterplay. Yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, I like, think about it, I mean, it's not the only civilization that has. I mean, you know, we got, you know, you got English and you have HRE that also have Feudal uh, Men at Arms, which sound like, you know, it sounds like the, the biggest play with HRE would be just. Okay, go up with Mindwork Palace, upgrade your men at arms, and just flood the enemy with men at arms and feudal. Honestly, for some I'm reason, that's English not the fast castle would be a great counter to this this play. Yeah, if you could just hold in that early feudal push, I think English into fast castle would, especially with a two TC kind of fast castle build or something for English. Like if you go up with King's Palace and start getting that bonus, mm-hmm. I could see that really kicking butt. I think uh, a, an an English player might be the only like english in general might be the only yeah. civilization that has a chance to do it yeah or maybe or maybe regular china will counter this like uh, i'm thinking you know, that too i'm thinking regular china could as well yeah like regular china like i feel like you might not be because regular china if you especially if you you know lay out your base well you can defend very well you know while we're at it and, i think i think uh byzantines and order the dragon will as well so we're gonna end up having probably half the sips that could probably <laughs> deal with this we just don't know it yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think this is gonna be good. You know, I just uh, you know, I think, but it can be beat. Actually, Delhi's right, got a pretty good field beat. game too. Maybe they could handle it. Delhi with the Gazi Raiders, they can also do damage against armor units. 
Dude, Delhi's not Delhi's not a joke. Delhi's not a Delhi, joke. Like, it's not played that often, but Delhi's actually like I I lose a lot. I mean, Roos has like, got the I'm Gremlins. Like, Roos has the Gremlins that could fight and defend. Oh, they're on point. Yeah, Gremlins are. on HRE point. is going to be in a rough spot though. HRE is going to have a rough time. HRE might be a little bit on the struggle. They're, they're, they're dead. They're dying. They're like drowning right now. Um, I could see, see Molly and struggling. I, I think the one mistake is because you guys are thinking about unit compositions to go mm-hmm. up against these, which I get, you know, obviously you need to make units, but for, for me, it's the timing. The yeah. timing yeah. is the most important, how quick you can do this. Because I say this when casting French over and over and over again, the fact that you can get your school of cavalry up as quickly, get that night out 30 seconds after the school of cavalry. That's what mm. makes it so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's what makes two or three All villagers right. die in dark age where that's resources yeah. you could have gathered with them over the next 30 minutes of the game. So I, I, I think because of what theoretically we're seeing here, how quickly you can generate a mass of some of these, uh, of some of these unique Chinese units, you, like a deli doesn't have a chance because they have to do things like get their wood income and then get their buildings mm-hmm. and then get a blacksmith and re- wait for the blacksmith research to come in and then put a scholar in the stable Good forever. Yeah. Where it's like the only thing you have to do, you went with the landmark, you have an IO already. All you got to do is supervise that John. Yeah. And there you go. Supervise that John. <laughs> You're not lying. Yeah. That, that is what I'm trying to think of. Like, because that supervision of any military production, that thing kicks out. It really does. It really does. It literally turns. Because if the too. IO couldn't supervise military production and it was only economic based, it wouldn't be as S tier. It'd still be a really good unit, but it wouldn't be like overly powered S tier, right? It'd be like A. Mm-hmm. The fact that it can do both is just insane. And that's why they're limited to only like four or five uh, for the regular Chinese. Well, yeah. remember when you were able to supervise the clock tower? Oh, oh gosh. my God. Yeah, that was no joke. That would make me tilt off yeah. the planet. That was a problem. They, they did a good job nerfing that because they were so much stronger. Those clock tower, just anything. Dude, clock 50% tower more was, health and they're popping oh, out man. faster. Yeah. It, popping it, out, dude. It was ridiculous. <sighs> but, but how I think about it, too. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, my goodness. That quick. I had problems. But I was thinking that... Oh, how did I do this? Oh my God. So that's what to say. I literally got it. <laughs> we'll edit it <laughs> out. Don't worry. Edit out. Yeah, edit out. You I'm know what I'm saying? I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but yeah, if it comes to me, it will. But I, I just feel that with, um, you know, like pretty much this tip on paper does look like, okay, it's not a joke. But I believe that eventually, like once it's figured out, once, I mean, maybe day one. You know, like like you just said, Tim, probably it's probably going to be that, you know, go up with uh, go to feudal age quick. And then all you got to do is really just spawn one barracks and supervisor that suit that with that uh, supervisor with Imperial official a lot quicker and get that up. But I think with the I, OK, this is on to say, actually, now I remember coming to me. I think something that really is making this a little bit little nerf. The problem is I think that barbecue not being there is going to be. That makes it, that's a big difference. The barbican really does, like, allow you to secure a resource, like, no problem. But like, the and thing it really is, like, you, I, already, I get that. The barbican is such a powerful. They're not, I mean, the problem is, if, if the timing, I think what Tim's going to say is, with the timing of being futile faster, you're already in your opponent's base before they can even think about getting into your base. 
So maybe Mongols yeah. would be really good against this, the tower rush early. I could see that being really devastating because mm-hmm. they got that True. Dark Age timing. Or maybe an English Vanguard Met at Arms rush is the way to go. I mean, maybe maybe you're playing Dark Age against the Civ trying to get the one up. But uh, yeah, I yeah, think, I mean, I think the Barbican won't matter if they're already in your base. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, like you can scout it out and they can send units to your base. But then, like I said, I mean, like if you are just 100% focused on going all in feudal and you fail, you're behind. Like, I mean, like, yeah, like I feel like everyone thinks that like, oh, you can just go in crazy with feudal, just feudal push to the max. But as you raise up skill levels, people's defense gets better. And at once you realize that you were going, you know, balls to the wall feudal. And then now you realize that you're not doing as much damage you think you can because enemy scouting on they prepared already and now now they hit castle age and I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie i want to i want to counter it so to me do you think that the, this game they're gonna run it in feudal i, I want to say that once they're figured out they're they're not going to be as powerful in feudal as as we think so i, I think, think you raise a really good point nevels and that's why they call it feudal all in for they call it yeah. that for a reason right yeah. you're you're putting everything you're staying one tc you're not trying to get any kind of economic payoff later down the road because you don't want the game to last that long yeah. that's why feudal all-ins don't have second town centers because it's frivolous waste of resources it's not necessary but mm-hmm. for i think as you ascend in the higher elos that feudal aggression will give you the map control to boom behind it if you necessarily mm. want to. Um, so it's not necessarily an all-in. You can get really early in feudal, pop out 20 Zugnu, go to the mm-hmm. enemy base, take down some of their villagers, while behind, you're gathering stone and you're supervising oh, yeah, that rough. building. Yeah, that, that's always a rough one. If you get somebody who's really good at feudal play, like somebody who's really aggressive, knows how to like, you know, pretty much still keep their economy on track while putting on feudal pressure, this is going to be dangerous for them. The real question is, we want we 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 need to release the numbers of stats these early palace guards. Yeah, we need for to, sure. We need to see what they're working. I'm betting with. they're not going to be that great. I'm betting they'll take quite a bit of damage to arrows. And I'm 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 thinking like if you a big enough like I I am thinking like I mean English like longbows into that would just shred. Uh, I I feel like they're not going to be as much armor. I feel like they will be fast. Yeah, like, like but I feel like the armor because like uh you know I feel like the like a, a decent amount of archers can actually take these out take these guys out. Or of course, you know, then you got like you know with the adversary, you got like you know camel archers, which are I think the best. I think I'm gonna say the best counter to feudal men at arms. They they do a lot. They actually do armor damage. We we just gotta see what these boys are working with, because I'm, I'm actually curious. Because if they're if they're if they're fast, they still pack a punch. These boys are not gonna be a joke, Mm-mm. especially being supervised. Yeah. yeah, I think I, 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 my my closing opinion, I think, for this is whether that whether that feudal all in is as broken as I think it is or otherwise, this looks like a sieve on paper. I don't want to play against and I oh, don't yeah. think it's going to be yeah. fun to Me play neither. against. Them. Me neither. It's going to be a frustrating sieve, especially to start before it's figured out. I think it's been pretty frustrating. All right. Well, should we uh, take a quick break before we're getting on to our Reddit posts then? Yeah, yeah, let's let's do it. Unless anyone's got any other things to say about uh, either of these two sieves. I think we're good. All right. Well, then let's uh, take a break. We interrupt this program for breaking news. I'm Casey Lindsay with Town Center News. We've just received word that a mass casualty event has occurred outside of Cornwall, England, where 12 people have been killed by a horde of rampaging men on horseback. Reporting live from the scene now is Town Center News correspondent Kirk McHenry. 
Kirk, can you describe to us how the situation looks on the ground? Yes, Casey, it's it's a horrible sight here. I'm standing right now next to the mining camp where the scene of the attack happened, where a horde of mounted knights charged through and killed 12 people. The names of which of those people have not yet been confirmed and announced to the public, but we know that there were both men and women present at the killing. Authorities have announced that the attack was perpetrated by none other than a group of French nationals under the banner of www.morenights.com, and also that they are still at large. Local authorities are preparing a sweep right now with anti-cavalry units, but again, there is no telling where these knights may be and what the objective of this heinous attack was. Hang on, we're, we're getting something now, I think. Oh, oh we, we need to move out of here. Okay, we're, we're moving now. Oh, run! Kirk? Kirk, are you still there? Kirk? Well, I'm sure he moved to safety before we were cut off. This has been a news break from Town Center News. Stay tuned for more updates on the massacre at Cornwall at 7. Alright, and we're back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, don't pull Sir Neville's and do a lot of heavy drinking before you do a podcast. Turns out uh, makes your head feel a little buzzy and fuzzy afterwards. <laughs> Have you thrown up yet, Sir Neville? Have you thrown up at all? <laughs> no, to, oh, no, no, dude. Listen, man. No, I, I <laughs> have had, I had, an issue. I had, an issue. I had an issue with that a couple years back. So I'm listen. I just I realize I'm not I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the man I used to be. Uh, it's the real struggle. Every party single. animal Neville's has done it again, no, guys. After saying for the millionth time he's never doing it again, he has done it again. Um, anyways, listen, listen. let's get some Reddit posts. I'm the uncle. I'm, the, I'm that uncle now of the uncle group. Like, Don't yo, do what like, I do. Your life, just pops a cigarette get your life mouth. together. <laughs> but I'm all right, though. I'm good. I'm good. I feel great. All righty. We've got some fun Reddit posts today. Um, this first one coming from you by uh, A. Laudition. Uh, from about 21 hours ago. Pretty recent, but this one caught my eye. Daily oh, dose of unuseful information. This is actually untrue. This is very useful information. Land snakes can damage stone walls. Hey guys, what? found out today that land snakes can damage stone walls if they hit an ally unit close to your walls. Just want to share some useful information with you all. What? <laughs> I don't apparently, know if this is true, but it apparently sounds Apparently awesome. the land snakes, their swords are like Excalibur. So apparently, I mean, because this is one of the few units that has AOE damage, right? Area of effect hitting a unit it, like that swing. Apparently, uh, the he says that, yes, it happens when an enemy was fighting my ally units close to my wall. I got the attack notification sound and the walls were slightly damaged. Not that much. Enemy just had uh, men at arms and land snakes. So. Sounds like the area yeah, so, effect damage does a little bit of damage to the stone walls, which I mean, as I mean, I, I wonder if that was intentional or not from the devs. Probably not. It's probably just a matter of coding. And it's probably yeah, it so calculate that when it looks for like valid damage types, probably bypasses whatever check is in place for stone walls. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense, right? Makes sense. I imagine that's be the kind of thing that'd be really hard to code, really hard to to, and frankly, I don't think it's really something they're going to be too worried about fixing anytime soon because uh, like it's really negligible, right? Like the odds of that making a difference in the game next to none. They've got bigger fish to fry like uh, like Byzantines with that oil. Yeah. Um, oh, someone yeah, else right. says here that apparently Grenadiers can do that, too. So not not. See, I thought now I thought Grenadiers were like they could do literal like 
they could bring down structures. Like they can do structure yeah, damage. Like, I've seen, I've seen uh, uh, group of uh, I mean, because they do AOE damage though as well. Like, I'm wait. sure that works. Okay. Yeah, that's so, you know, that's a good dose of you know, you know, unuseful. I wouldn't call it 100% unuseful. Interesting. It's an interesting so tidbit. It's almost do. like almost extra sheep worthy in a way. Almost. Yeah, yeah. That could work. Yeah, something I did not know. Um, this next one is a post is uh it's a video. I'll need to describe what happens here. So you've got I'm gonna pause the video a couple seconds in. Uh, it's only 14 seconds long. You've got English into uh Delhi. Looks like the Delhi player has a pond. Looks like we're on uh one of those probably what we what map is this probably? It looks like it's like uh like ancient spires. Like ancient spires yeah, where you got all those like those tiny sure. little lakes oh, and shoreline no. fish. He's got a bunch oh. of he's got a mill. Let, let, hold on, Snails. Let me let me let me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. oh. You know what's coming. Snails <laughs> uh, is seeing what's happening. So you got like 20 vills on a mill next to the shoreline fish on a tiny little pond. Uh, the title list says no pond is too small to hide a dock on. The vision is only on the half of the pond. Uh, the other person <laughs> apparently docks to the side and sends in a demolition ship, which comes in, and I kid you not, boom kills like 20 vills right there how many villages why do you have that many villages collecting from that one pond well why not i mean that's something i would do i, I mean you're on the you're on the shoreline fish it's the fastest gathering yeah. you would you would never expect in a million years that your opponent's gonna <laughs> come in with a uh a dock and send a uh demolition yeah, ship i didn't, I didn't realize that yeah the uh you can't see anything wow like like that provides like no type of line of sight this mill yeah mills Which are not mills yeah. are not great uh, yeah. seeing things he literally hit that dot. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> All right. Wow. That's unfortunate. That right there. That's a GG. That's a GG demo right there. Yeah. That's a GG. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. That's, this is the kind of stuff I wish. I, I love seeing stuff like that. So just, just funny. Just funny little, little post. Nothing crazy. Yeah, that's good. Uh, no. Let's see. One of these will have a good discussion on, I'm sure. Uh, and here it is, actually. Here's the one that we've been, uh, we've been waiting for. Uh, last segment, last episode, we had a really good segment where Beal just like shot out like exactly how to play a matchup. I think it was Ottomans into uh, I forget into the matchup Mongols. into Mongols. Well, yeah, that, that's what we're looking at here right now. Um, now we're kind of the reverse. How do you beat autos as Mongols? Um, I'm not a Mongol player. Is anyone here like a professed Mongol player? Tim, I don't. You? I wouldn't say I'm. Um, I'm getting there, boys. Listen, I've been playing the Mongols a lot this season. I'm not going to lie. I will say Neville's probably has more experience than me. I've dabbled in Mongols, but it's definitely not part of my main civ rotation. Dude, okay. Mongols, I think, are maybe my new favorite civ in the game. Like, okay. over Abbasid, and I love the Abbasid. But the Mongols, man, I think I have a better win rate in the Mongols than the Abbasid. Okay, well, yes, so I won't yeah. proclaim myself as, so, like... Gloomy Pudding here. Let me let's we'll, we'll, we'll let Sir Neville take a stab at this then. Uh, Gloomy Pudding okay, uh, says, how do you beat autos as Mongols? Looking for advice here. I main Mongols and usually do pretty well, but my last five to six matches have been against Ottomans and I have lost every single one. Appears this is a popular sieve now. Where has he been? Ottomans have been popular for a while. Uh, <laughs> early rush gets countered by free spears. Keshiks get countered by Janissaries. Late game bombards just wreck and are hard to counter. The free unit spawns faster than 10 to 15 plus Mongol buildings. Tried tower rushing, horsemen harassing, turtling, etc. Nothing seems to work. Unit mix feels impossible versus Ottomans as Mongols. I'm plat two to three. Uh, well, after this losing streak, almost gold. Sad face. <laughs> All right. So let's see. What, what can we do here? Um, OK, so his question is how to beat the Ottomans as the Mongols. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. OK. All right. So maybe 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 Bill can collaborate on this because he likes the Ottomans and I've been mm -hmm. using the Mongols lately. 
And so, I'm kind of smart, so um, yeah, yeah. Everybody, and everyone here is intelligent, so you know, everybody can throw in just based off game. So, knowledge. so I guess the question is, what do Mongols want to do here? Because Ottomans, I mean, Beal. Well, for recap, Beal, can you like in 20 seconds or less tell us what Ottomans' game plan against Mongols is? Sure. Uh, early military, well, scout to see what's going up around their uvu. Uh, if you do see a barracks come out looking for that early uh, tower push in Dark Age, drop a barracks yourself with a military school. You'll have more spears than them eventually. You can deny that. Be in a better position going into feudal, into feudal, uh, turn your military schools on Sapahi, try to start picking off traitors. Uh, you'll still have mm-hmm. spears to deal with Keshek. And uh, yeah, you should be at an advantage militarily uh, throughout the game. From there, uh, Janissaries basically melt Keshek like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you should be in a good position at that point. Okay. That was wonderfully done. That was excellent. So the Mongols then, we're looking at the Mongols term. Obviously, you mentioned traders. They're probably going to go for Silver Tree and Feudal, mm-hmm. right? That, I think that's kind of the plan. It, yeah, I think it's pretty map dependent because actually uh, Deerstones are pretty... They like their feudal age landmarks are actually they're both, viable. They're both pretty good. But I think more often than not, though, they're going to lean towards silver. Tree. I think that, I think that feels I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that's kind of the meta uh, honestly mm-hmm. on most maps. That's that tends to be viable. So what what what, what can my okay, so question is, what can Mongols do and what should they do? And what is their overarching goal? See, right. So about- a, a dark age tower is not going to be easy, right? They could tower rush. I, and I'm thinking you maybe tower rush the stone and uh, maybe stop any more military production in these buildings going up. But again, Beal said they'll, they're going to do a military school off the bat. Uh, that's going to go up. The first one's going to go up no matter what. And they're going to drop another barracks and have more spears. So I guess well, is that is dark age yeah. rushing does not work for. See, the one thing about the Mongols though, only about the Mongols is that you kind of figure out your game plan within like the first five seconds of the, depending on how you spawn. Cause like sometimes like you want to do something, but your sponge is not cooperating with you. So, like, for example, like, of course, we know how the Ottomans, we know how the Ottomans, we know their game plan. Their game plan is going to be to overpower you in military. Like, that's kind of like, that's kind of like their thing. That's their mm-hmm. thing. So I do not believe the Mongols can outproduce the Ottomans. I don't think, especially in a feudal, uh, feudal, land, a feudal uh, point, I don't believe, like, we, you just can't match the numbers. I think the reason why the uh the Mongols have the ability to double produce out of their Uvus because they just naturally are behind economically to start. The fact that you have to actually find a spot for your landmark, I mean, for your uh, TC, you have to build the Uvu somewhere in the vicinity. Hopefully you have a gold spawn. Like if your gold spawns near your wood line, you're in a good spot. That's a great, that's a great spawn because you're pretty much, you have, you're going to have wood, gold, and food from your sheep all with next to your TC from the rip. So it's not very easy to, all in the Mongols, plus they can move their landmarks. I think the best way, what I would do against the Ottomans, like I said, this guy's, this guy's almost diamond, so he might already have, but like, I would just try to establish a safe, like you have to try to establish and protect your trade rather than going all in on the Ottomans. I feel like once you, once you like, for example, I mean like find, find your trade route, build towers along that trade route, so if, so like, like Bill said, he's going to try to get you off trade. If you're able to garrison up and protect the main trade as you possibly can, once Mongols get their trade settled, it's they're a very hard civilization to beat. 
Like once they, once they, cause like you don't even really, you can just harass. You can, you can spawn out three. You let's say you spawn out four Kashik. Kashik. Hope I said that right. You, if you can micro well enough, you can just send those four Kashik around the base to keep them, keep the Ottomans like pretty much stuck in their base. Like not stuck, but pretty much just keep their, keep them distracted from your trade by harassing their villagers. Cause if you run around, you, you know, shift click around the whole Ottoman base and you keep them distracted and defending and keeping their economy right, you can establish trade in the background. You know, like, no, and of course, it, depending on rank level, it's different because some, some players, they'll recognize like, okay, this dude, he's, he's not all enemy. He's just using these, you know, four to six Kashyyyk to raid me. He's doing this, he's doing, he got something else cooking in the back. So let me, let me go check some stuff out. But if you can do that in long enough time to keep your opponent distracted, and then you get trade online, and then you start flooding out traders, so start spawning a little bit more villagers to wood, so you can start pumping out traders, maybe start making some uh, pastures to keep food online. Once you establish that, I'm telling you, I think the Mongols are one of the hardest civs to beat. So basically what Bill said is counter the trade. Your objective to beat the Ottomans is make sure that trade succeeds. And of course, map dependent also, because if you're playing on like a map that trade is not as viable, going Deerstone, your whole game plan is whole game plan. So is I would love to jump in here and I have, I've got some thoughts. Yes. I've been thinking about this and listening to you talk about this kind of gives me some, I want to kind of just kind of summarize a little bit of what we're trying to do. So Mongols, then essentially you're trying to beat Ottomans to castle age. So you want to go I up see. trade, you want to go trade into faster, a faster castle because if beating Ottomans in feudal seems difficult maybe because they've they've got that military advantage so i think what you want to do is you want to make them almost overcommit into feudal or slow them down at least in feudal as you go castle defending yourself where it matters then once you get up into Mm -hmm. uh into castle age using that tech increase to beat the weaker army you know yeah and then you can kind of catch them as they're trying to age up yeah, like yeah, exactly. That feels like, like, the, that feels like the window. I mean, yeah, I could like, be wrong. And like, and like, you know, obviously, it's way different with execution. Like that mm-hmm. would be because, and also too, with the the Mongols are kind of hard to give. Like, you know, first I'm not that well versed in Mongols, but they're hard to give kind of advice for because they are very dynamic. Like, like if you spawn like in a trash spot, like say you spawn and like you you just like you spawn maybe wood and stone, so you put your uvu near your TC, but your gold is like you know forward. Like, like it, it can determine, you can determine differently how you want to go about things based on your spawn. But I really do believe, because, like, the Mongols actually are stronger in feudal than they are in castle now. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, they don't really have knights anymore. But our Ottomans like, more powerful is the problem, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and the Ottomans, Ottomans are, like, they are very powerful. I mean, they're, they're good. They're just good in general. Here's, like, here's a thread of thought. Uh, would yeah. would uh, Mangadai be a good choice into Ottomans? Uh, I don't believe so because I know the no, Ottomans. Ottoman, like, they're gonna go they're archers. heavy archers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that, and with that matter, like dude, they're nuts. Like because because your sheik are like a good. I think sheik are good, like honestly, like imperial. Like they're very good. Like there's like, nothing worse than like playing against the Ottomans and like you know you go imperial with them. So like is archer spawn, spear the top? That is archer spear or archer keshik the better way to go as a Mongol player? See me, Ottomans. I, it's Ottomans. I actually like it. I guess it depends like on what the enemy's doing because like, like with the Uvu, you can match like the Uvu is actually a very good, like if you get stone and you keep track of Uvu stone compilation, good, like you can actually semi match the Ottoman in military mass. So it really kind of depends on what your enemy's doing. Like obviously if they're, if they're going, cause they're going to 
Oh, not Nakashik. What is the what are the Tapahi? If they're going Tapahi Archer comp, then you probably will be, it'll, it'll work out well for you going Kash, uh, Kashek and Spearman. Or like, or like, it just really like, wherever you like, just counter basically like Kashik, Kashek are like, kind of like, they're, they're like the baseline of your feudal army because the fact they do, like, they trade well, especially like if they outnumber the enemy because they get health back from attacking. But like so, really, what my my advice was basically like is what like I said, it's easier done execution than like in theory. But is if you can keep your trade on point, well, like not not necessarily like don't allow like kind of keep the Ottomans distracted enough with raids or even with the little military. Like if you you can if you attack the Ottomans, you you can even fight them, but make sure that trade is being established in the background. Like if you can keep the Ottomans maybe fighting in the center, just keep them out of your base and keep them away from your trade. Or at least yep. to the point where they're mentally distracting them, they're not worried about trade. They're worried about keeping their military alive, so they're not really worried about the trade going in the background. And then you're gonna just like the trade becomes so it helps you boom so beautifully that like you'll hit castle accidentally while you're fighting them. You'll hit castle, and then once you hit castle, you can just spawn out men at arms. And exactly. then like men at arms is like nobody like there's nothing to do about that pretty much. Yeah, auto struggles against men at arms, uh, especially if they don't have a big military built up. Mm -hmm. uh, like what you're saying, Nevels, is yeah, put the pressure on the Ottomans, try to keep them in their base uh, so you can trade boom and go up to castle faster than they can. Um, while they're yeah. still trying to get their feudal, like military generation online, uh, go up to castle, build men at arms incorporate them into the mix and then bring it yeah. right back to the auto base. Um, at that point, you'll be in a better economic position with the trade that is likely still uncontested. And now you're, you have a tech advantage. Yeah. So, that, so that's how we'll go about it. I, I want to interject just a little bit here and I want to sure. ask Beal questions while I kind of go through this because he's the Ottoman guy here. So with the, Mongolians, when you first start, obviously with the barracks and Uvu, you get the double production. It actually does end up being more than a barracks plus a military school. Very difficult mm. because the military school, because okay. of the queue time, is longer. Right. right. So unless you make two barracks and a military school, you're never going to catch up. Okay. So, so yeah. what really helps in the Dark Age battles with the Ottomans is when you make enough spearmen, you get the vizier point for imams. Then you can heal your spearmen. The other guy can't. So that's what really creates the the difference. That's what, that's what creates the paradigm shift from what I've seen from high level play anyway. So Okay. I, I was thinking, yeah, the, the food cost as well as Right. Right. Yeah. That too. So my my question for you, Beal, is for the Ottomans, when you get into when you hit feudal age, you get to feudal age, what's the most important resource for you? Wood. Wood, absolutely. So you get a higher spear generation because the Mongols producing two at a time, like Noah's Ark. And then you can, and then where do you, and so at dark age, you have the numbers and then you have a con. So a tower rush seems like a good idea. Where are you going to put that tower bill? Going to put it on the wood line on the wood line. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if you can stall, because what, one of the reasons why the Ottomans are so good at what they do is because all of the production buildings and all of the free production, that's their quote unquote economic bonus that they mm -hmm. get units for free. If you're able to tower the wood line or both wood lines, depending on what map you're playing, and you're able to stall that out, they can't get the military buildings to actually make the units. 
And then you force them into going for what the stereotypical tower rush defense is, which is the first thing is instead of a blacksmith that they want to put down, you have to put down an archery range. You have to make three archers. And then you start taking down the other team, the Mongolian uh, spearmen that, that you can burn down the tower, all that kind of stuff. The reason why the Mongolians are so good and so frustrating at the same time is because you're spending a lot of time doing that. And you're spending a lot of resources doing that where they go silver tree behind it. And then they start trading. So by the time minute eight, nine rolls around and you finally have your economic or your buildings, your blacksmiths, your military production buildings, you finally got rid of that tower. Uh, the Mongols have about nine traders going now and oh, yeah. they're about to hit castle age. And then you go for the men at arms right afterwards. So yeah. I think the Ottomans are very exploitable within the first, I want to say five to seven minutes of the game. After you get to that point, it's very difficult to keep up with an Ottoman military mass, as we all know. We've all played against Ottomans before. So it's all about just stopping them from getting there. Some civs can do it better than others. I think the Mongolians are some of the best they can, though, just because of their ability to tower rush people. Mm. So I still haven't learned tower rushing with the Mongols. I don't know why I haven't decided to learn it. It's not me. It's not good enough. You, you lose a little bit of your soul, but it's good for you to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to trade a little bit of that in to tower rush. <laughs> It's a portion, not the full thing. It's a percentage of it. But yeah, All hopefully, right. hopefully that answered the question a little bit. I think we did a in my decent job with that. Yeah, that's. Yeah. that's I need to play more Mongols one of these days, but I'm still learning. Oh, they're fun, dude. So. I'm thinking they're about. Fun. I need to try Ottomans again for a bit. I, I, I kind of got the Abbasids. I won't say down. I just lost a ton of games with them, but I kind of have the idea of what they're trying <laughs> to do at least. Uh, but I really enjoyed Ottomans. I'm thinking I want to pick them up again. All right. So next, our next post here is uh, posted by Invictus. Uh, wow, the Invictus. Wow, is that him? Is that actually him, or is that yeah, maybe? Well, wait a minute. Um, I don't know if it's the Invictus, the streamer, the guy who plays a lot, who was originally uh, what was his name? Did he change his name to this? I forget. Anyways, uh, I don't know if it's him or not. But he what? says, uh, "Please give Longbow's campfire back." For me, the, for life me, I'll never understand why they took Longbow's campfire and changed it to a twenty-five wood investment for men at arms that provides a tiny amount of sight and can be easily destroyed by ranged units. Like, what the heck is that? When they made the changes, they said campfire is underutilized. I don't know how they came to that conclusion because it was used all the time. And now, and now think when it was last time you, and now think when was the last time you saw literally anyone using men at arms campfire? It's such a shame. Um, I agree. I, I actually, yeah, I agree. Industry. For one thing, I, I do think campfire was underutilized with the archers before. I used it a lot when I was uh, all inning with them, uh, but I, I was overall underused. I do not disagree with the point that no one, I, I can't disagree no that it's, it's still, nobody uses, <laughs> no, as little I as it was used one. before, I have never it's worse. It's worse. It. it has gotten worse. Yeah, I because I, it wasn't utilized well before. It's post the change. I, I actually had forgotten until I saw this post that they even still had this ability. I had completely forgotten about it. And it costs wood. I see what his point. I see what his point is, though. It's yeah. like the fact that it really costs wood too. It costs wood. Like uh, uh, there's, a, there's a comment down here that makes a really good point. Twenty five wood for a tiny vision boost that is destroyed in one hit, or a hundred wood for a huge vision boost, huge attack speed buff that can shoot arrows, takes a decent military rams to destroy. Tough choice. I mean, there's a little bit more than that. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta send a villager to go build it. So there's a little bit of opportunity cost there, but it's kind of not wrong, right? Like, why not just save the extra yeah, 75 yeah. wood, put up a tower, and actually have that buff? Yeah, you're everything right. to go with yeah. it. Everything, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the weirdest things about Campfire is that it increases the line of sight based on the unit that's in there. 
Yeah. Damn, this was introduced in the same patch that nerfed the line of sight of scouts as well. Uh-huh. So, like, the payoff, there's, there's like, what are you going to use this for? Actually, on that like, side yeah, note, yeah, like, yeah, have I'm you guys noticed? Have, have you guys noticed much with the difference in vision of scouts? Has that affected you guys a lot? Because I, I gotta be honest, I, I always click that upgrade to get better a scout vision in Imperial Age, but I gotta admit, I don't know if I've noticed a huge difference overall. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that much. I forgot they even nerfed it. Okay, that That's tells me crazy. all I need to know. Okay, so uh, yeah, I mean, interesting. Interesting, because I thought that change would be more impactful, and it really hasn't been. Actually, I have noticed against going against like Berkshires with Trebs, it's really difficult to get that sight to let your range yeah. units actually get stuff down. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Campfire really needs to be just put in the magnifying glass again. I mean, I think. See, when the game first released, Campfire, you could heal your archers while moving. Yeah, that was too much. Like, which, is, which is like, that's like, I, I think if it went back to what it was before, I think people will miss it more. Like, wow, okay, maybe this isn't that bad. Like, I think maybe we didn't know what we had until we lost. I, I feel like I had always said, I, everyone's like, this never used, never used. I remember I used it a lot when I was playing English all the time, and I would usually do a longbow ram rush. I used Campfire a lot. I'd use Campfire, and then useful. I would... I would build a ram and use campfire while I was doing that to heal up my slightly damaged longbows. Like that's what I would do. It worked. The synergy worked really well. I, I, I mean, I think the problem is like that 25 wood for a tiny vision boost. Uh, and it's only men at arms who have that. If every unit could do it, maybe it'd be more worthwhile. But when only men at arms can do that, men at arms, frankly, aren't the unit of choice by a, by English all the time. Like really more often than not, I'm going Especially, yeah, in especially in feudal like i've got the option to use them in feudal but i'm gonna be popping out spears and longbows i'll mix in a couple every now and then depending on what the opponent's matchup is but uh, the odds of me actually using a campfire like at that point i've already i already have put up a tower a forward tower to look at the base then like I, it is the play so this is yeah. this definitely is like a absolutely frankly kind of worthless ability i think i mean i i have yet to even use it and i i was a huge english guy when this change happened and i i don't think i ever used it once i don't, I don't think i've ever seen it one time in i don't think i've ever I even seen no it one. yeah i forgot what it even looks like are we sleeping on a huge thing or i mean I, I feel like it's kind of dumb to say that like are we sleeping on something that could be huge but at the same time like towers are like out, outposts are just that much better mm-hmm. right and it's actually an influence. Like, it actually gives your units more attack. Yeah. Like it just, it just really, it, yeah, they kind of got a point. You much, it, having a tower just sounds way better. And then I feel like the campfire would be more useful for the archers to have better line of sight. Yeah. Like, like they've what only got the longest sight range in the game. They've got yeah. seven tiles of range to match their, their range of attack as well. So, scouts, like, what do you mean? I, I think, I think actually longbows have better vision than dark age scouts do. I think they do. That's crazy. Well, like, what do you need more line of sight with a man in arms for? And like, their sword to like stretch. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you still gotta get in there. You, you, you gotta commit them either way. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. What do you think, like, Sam? What, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I am gonna keep this short and sweet. Campfire is bad. It's bad now. Okay, yeah, it, I agree. It, it was bad before. Yeah. Um, and even though you know there was some kind of synergy, like you said, with the rams and longbows and all that kind of stuff. That's probably the only time your lamp, your long in a vacuum or in theory, this is probably the only time your longbow should be stationary is when they're building a ram. And usually, yeah. when you're building a ram, you want the spearman to anyway, so your longbow can provide DPS from mm-hmm. a wider range. So uh, you can't really make a mechanic on the reliance of your units being idle 
or being stationary yeah. because that's such a big detriment to it. It better make some groundbreaking effect for you to want to plant your military into one particular place. And there's one thing that does do that, and that's the outpost. So I would rather spend a little bit of wood to get that outpost exactly like that comment said. To be honest, I think it summed it up better than I could. Yeah. Then it scales terribly. I was against scalability. It scales horribly. I, mean, I don't disagree like, that like has some kind of like extra like ability is kind of needed to make English feel a little more unique than what they are. English is a decent sieve. Like I don't hate on it by any means, but it definitely could use a little more flair. So I get like they want to give it some kind of ability, some kind of flair. But yeah, this goes up there like next to like archer pilings for usability. Like I don't feel like I I feel like archer pilings. I was going to think I was thinking about this the other day. Like I don't ever use it and I can never use it effectively because I'm always moving my archers. So I always try to go, oh, I got archer pilings. I use it and they go, no way. I just want to run away from this. Like, you know, what's surprising is like the palings actually do have usage. If you like, if if you take too long, Bowman, like say you have villagers collecting stone for a town, and you center. pop it right there. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, know. and you put it there. There, there are situational uses, but for it's that. really situational. Like in combat, like the way they envisioned it with a big line of archers with the palings, it does not work. Yeah, that it way. doesn't happen. It just no. doesn't happen. I mean, I'd rather instead of instead of having palings like that, I'm making spears, spears. and yep. that's what spearmen are yep. for. Yeah, I feel like both of those abilities, like I wish there was more to I wish they were like were reworked to be better. I really do, because I, I like the idea of having a unique thing. It's, it's like the uh, the and this is a better ability that I always forget, but the Arbitrier for the French having the shields for melee defense. Mm. I forget about that all the time, because what I'm trying to do is kite the at arms, not let them sit and get up on me. So I, I always I'll forget about that one, too. I'll tell you what the Pavis shields for the Arbitrier are good, are right? incredible. People yeah, should using be us. using them. I never do. I always, I neither always do. I, <laughs> neither do I. And it's I should. It's so hard to think about it. Cause like I, my, my instinct is, Oh, I got to kite these guys, you know? Well, cause the, the thing is, is so you have, uh, say you're Imperial age with the Arbor which is really where they shine. Right. Because that's where you get the Gambesons. Assuming uh-huh. you don't go for the Royal Institute, you get the Gambesons technology, which adds plus five to melee. Okay. And then you, Deploy the Pavis shield, which for a small period of time gives you plus five ranged armor. So they can't get sniped. I mean, a bullet can shoot through it. So if you have hand cannoneers, I guess that's not really going to be very useful. But <laughs> if you're up against things like archers and other crossbowmen, especially in Castle Age, I think it has a lot of utility in Castle Age for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, those kind I mean, of abilities, I, I just, I, one, I never think about them. Two, I mean, the, the PV shields at least are good, uh, but the other ones for English, like the, the archer pilings and uh, and uh, uh, the campfire. I mean, I just I see arch pilings every now and then. And I always think to myself, oh, I should do that more. And then I always try and do it in combat. And I'm like, I just get wrapped around and just destroyed. And I'm like, that was a stupid idea. Socrates, what were you thinking? <laughs> I, I oh. my micro lately. OK, my micro has been really bad the last couple of days in particular. I have just been so off. I how, how do you not run your horsemen into spears? Sometimes I try and click them away. I'm like, get away, get away, get away, get away. And then they like, they like, they just walk around the spears or they do something stupid. And ah, dude, I, my, my, my micro has been terrible. I, I'm like almost like sworn off a horseman unless there's a bunch of crossbows. Like I'm almost ready to swear off them forever and only go spear archer myself. Like I don't, I don't even care because I, it's the amount of knights in the horsemen I have lost because I can't get them away from spears fast enough. Or like they like try try to like arc them around, but like because they're trying to get into reformation, they like go really slow, and so a spear catches up and stabs them anyways. I, oh, dude! Oh yeah, that's low yellow so... problems right here. Uh, I'm I'm just that feeling stings. them right now. I've got the blues. That 
Okay. Well, yeah, pretty much like what, what, what uh, base of story is campfires are bad. Yep. Campfires yeah, bad. bad. They need to rework yeah, bad. Bad. something. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, next post, uh, this is for you, Tim, with your ruse. Uh, this is the militia effect. So there's two timelines here, military timeline. Uh, you've got a green that's going up, 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 and a, a huge drop, and then they die. Uh, then you've got the yellow timeline, which is way less than the green. It shoots straight up, and then it goes straight down right after the green line goes down. Uh, basically, just of it being the militia. He bought a bunch of uh, gremlins. They killed the entire green army, and... The militia just won. So the militia effect, everybody, for your viewing, viewing pleasure. It, it's just a straight line up, straight line down, but the opponent's army just completely collapses. Yeah, Impressive. I will say for militia and for somebody who likes to spawn, I've spawned thousands of militia in my lifetime, believe me. I, I, I don't fight them. I That's don't know comment. why. That's a top comment. <laughs> I, I don't know why when I deploy militia and I put them into battle, and they take the battle. It's like, why are you doing that? Just like, wait, wait like a minute in a quarter. And then the clock, stri- the clock strikes midnight on them and then they die. They turn into pumpkins. So it's like, why, why, why would you do that? It makes no sense. Even if I, that's the only military I have, say someone's going for an all in feudal, I call the, the militia as like a last chance military button, you know? It's like, just don't push for a minute. And yeah. then just push afterward, and then you're fine. Shout out to like, uh, shout out to logical musical, logically musical, who posted uh, the top comment on this thread says, "If that is the result of fighting the militia outright, I would recommend an alternative. Don't do that." <laughs> yeah, they're oh wow, nice. That's, that's like verbatim. Uh, yeah, uh, listen to that guy. Yeah, this guy knows what's up. Uh, yeah, that, that's it's really fun to see. Uh, yeah, fighting militia just feels so bad. Fighting against him, that is, just feels so, so bad. Because you know it's just like trash army that's just going to, they're just going to go home and forget and, and, and drop the swords forever and never come back to it. Well, <laughs> I, say, I, I say this in casts all the time. You know, the, the, the damage it does is permanent, but they're temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Just, mm. just let, them, let them sit. Now, now this is, this could be really good for Bruce in that, Maybe they're trying to get something up or a TC up or like in like really fast or maybe get a keep up or do something and you just put militia on it so that they force your opponent to back up. That's like the best use of this, right? Like where you're trying to do something that the timing matters, right? you got to get this keep up in this key spot. Here come the militia just in time to defend that. So your opponent has to back off for that minute. So I can see where you might need to take a fight like that uh, or Roos can get a really good edge with those gremlins. But man, yeah, unless it's like something super crucial like that, I can't imagine why you'd ever want to do that. I mean, sometimes you get kind of caught off guard, but. And I'll tell you, that's, that's the, that's the art of the Kremlin, man. Like you, you pop those, say you're going for a keep drop. So you pop militia out. If you create a specific point of interest where they have to take the fight, that's when you're popping militia out. If you're pop, if you, if you bring the militia out in an opportunity where the opponent doesn't need to take whatever fight it is, then you didn't do it correctly. That sounded good. Yeah. I mean, I think, hey, militia, that, that, I just learned something new. I mean, they're all pretty much terminally ill soldiers, so just kind of avoid them. <laughs> just, avoid them. <laughs> just let, uh, just let Nate take his sword. They fall victim to the, the great enemy of life, time. <laughs> Man, uh, last fortune. post I've got here uh, Sarah the Gun posts, How many barracks is too much? Uh, now I want to, first of all, I want to shame this person for their horrible use of grammar. Me and my <laughs> friend are debating it. He claims having over the barracks was not always just, just 
we're not texting on like old age 90s cell phones here. Just type out me and my friend. It's not, it's like, that's me it. That's and all my it takes. friend. Uh, friend and my friend. My friend and I. There we go. There we, thank you, Beal. Thank, thank you. Thank you. My friend and I. Speak the Lord's English. Speak, speak the King's English, please. Um, yes. Uh, but anyways, I, I like the question, though. So they've got a great question for AOE, though. How many barracks is too much? Is 50 too much? Um, personally, I'll answer this to start, and then we'll open the, the panel to our excellent panelists here. Uh, uh, I think it was... Uh, Sir Neville's gave me this thought uh, that I had too many production buildings. I was dropping production buildings and I couldn't support it. So you have too much when you cannot use them all at the same time. Right. Yeah. Like the first comment is pretty good for this one. Exactly. Yeah. What does it say? As many as you can utilize plus one. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. There yeah, we go. Beautiful. That is excellent. That's good. Yeah. That's going right yeah, there. Cause I mean, the, the purpose of having more than one is you can refield an army faster. Right. So in late game, mm -hmm. like if you're an Imperial age, you should have like 10 of everything. Really, at least, yeah, you, you know, like you, you want to be able to just churn out whatever you need. You, when you hit shift, like whatever, like shift Q, shift W, shift E, whatever unit you're popping out, you should. Well, you want all those at once. You want to be able to refield them immediately. So that every time a unit dies, another unit's already on the way. Like that is how you win Imperial Age, essentially, is you have a better macro. Your, your economy is doing better and your units are replenishing instantly. You can tell when someone's starting to fall off when that 200 of 200 is now 175 of 200 or 150 of 200 mm -hmm. they just can't keep replenishing that's how you win you know that's how you win is you keep up that maximum population you keep up that fielded military and as long as you're taking fights as long as you're taking good fights like that eventually if you can just start creeping up you win it's all about just replacing the military and keeping your presence on the field so everything that you just said Socrates, was actual gold um <laughs> that was 100 percent correct being consistently pop capped once you get to post imperial, just make sure you're at 200. And if you can keep doing that, you're going to win the game. And especially, I, I noticed that a lot in lower elo games from the long time that I casted low elo legends was a lot of people actually, instead of making too many production buildings, usually didn't make enough. Enough. Yep. They would, yeah. It, they would float One of my issues for sure. Yeah. And you float yeah, a lot of resources. I yeah, mostly wood. Things. I think wood is the easiest one you float. Or gold. I, I see gold a lot too. Yeah, I think gold, one gold, of the yeah. one of the pieces of advice I would give to lower elo players is if you have, say you have three, I'll just spit out a number. Say you have four barracks. If you have eight of a unit that mm -hmm. you can queue, four barracks is not, not enough. enough. Yep. I was just thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, sometimes when I'm when I'm playing, I'll notice I've got a long queue and I'll go, oh, you know what? Let me delete all those in the queue build some other things and I'm going to put my production to somewhere else for the time being just because you got to flood out. You, it's all about having the mass, right? You've got to have that critical mass. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. like sometimes late, like later in the game, uh, being pop capped is not a bad, especially when you're like at 170. I'm like, oh, I'm pop capped. That's a good that's a good problem to have. Like, obviously, I want to get to 200. So I need to build a house. But the fact that I'm getting pop capped after taking a fight or two is a good sign that you're producing units effectively. Uh, what were you going to say, Bill? Um. Oh, I can't remember now. Oh, no. uh, I was going to say, talking about pop cap. I've lost yeah. it. I had it. I lost it. I was listening to you and it was brother. Having on a completely different train at this point. I, the one thing happened me so severely earlier. I understand. Yeah, I've, I've got that effect today. I guess I'm just, I'm like walking around with an orbit of confusion around me or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, because we talk about floating resources. I, I would say the best resource to float is wood 
if I had to pick from the mm. four. Yeah, obviously, in a vacuum, I'd rather not float anything, but obviously we all float everything. So in uh, for wood, just because you can do things like add more production, you could do things like farm transition, you yeah, can do farm, things, yeah. you know, like get technologies. Like there's a, uh, it's a very, yeah. it's a very fluid resource to use because you can use it in different avenues from an economic sense a militaristic sense you could use it to get siege if you're in castle age you know so hmm. uh, if you were to pick a resource to float i think wood is the least offender yeah because you can easily pop down seven barracks and then suddenly you're not floating wood anymore well you know and I guess right. another, another question i want to touch on this a little bit for those maybe lower elo players this is kind of i want to try to make sure we kind of have this podcast we reach out to everyone right obviously maybe the high-end players probably don't give a crap about us because we're just like so beneath them they're so much wiser we probably don't have enough to say that they help us i imagine like beastie cutie just doesn't give a crap about our podcast because he knows everything way more than we do so but, but probably, uh, probably judging us probably 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 i hope not <laughs> These dorks. Beastie, if you're listening I, I i really highly doubt he is but if you're listening uh welcome welcome <laughs> we're know. so glad you've made it uh two and a half plus hours of our 18th episode <laughs> um anyways for the lower elo players so i'm talking anyone my around rymat or possibly in the lower levels of gold or high silver or I mean, even for people in, in, in silver and plat, you know, this could be good. Um, what do we consider as floating a resource, right? How much is floating? For me, I don't feel like you should ever have, unless unless you're trying to age up, I don't feel like you should ever have more than a thousand of any resource until you hit like Imperial Age. Oof. That's so a good macro. I, I would be, I would say unless you're saving up for something particular. That's hard. It is, but like, Good macro yeah, you're, you're right, spending though. as you get, you're right, unless yeah. you're saving up to age up or you're saving yeah. up for like a keep or something like that, yeah. you know? I guess, yeah, above a, th- above a thousand. Above a thousand is when gold. I start saying you're, you're floating. And I, I do this all the yeah. time, to be fair. I do this all the time, but when my best games I've noticed are when I don't do that. Yeah, most definitely. You're right. I think it also depends on what age you're in. So yeah. 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 if you have, if you're in Castle Age and you have 100 villagers and you're making, say you have 1,600 food per minute, it's going to be easy to float a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think a thousand is a good number to shoot for. I think for, for me, I, spe- I specifically take this, uh, account of this in feudal age. Um, if I'm in feudal age and I'm above 300 of a resource, I'm floating it. That's, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's, 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 I'm going to keep that in mind because like, I never know when I'm exactly floating or not. Like, yeah, a thousand is definitely in feudal. A thousand is really floating. I think of a thousand like in castle age, you're kind of floating it. So, so yeah, I would probably say 500 for, for maybe lower level guys uh, over five, 600 in feudal is floating too much, uh, in castle a thousand Imperial. I stopped caring a little bit because at that point you're, you should be just banking resources. Cause you're going to be, if the pop cap was like a thousand units, you'd be using way more resources to get there. But in, uh, Imperial age, you're capped at 200. As long as you're able to produce as fast as you can. Uh, that's the more I start working more concerned is how fast can you replenish your army? So floating resources, you're going to float food. You're going to float hopefully some gold and maybe, maybe not gold as much, but you're going to float wood and food for sure. Food, especially if you're in a farm transition, you're going to float. If you're in the post Imperial age also, it, it doesn't become floating anymore. It becomes stockpiling. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're in, I mean, if you're consistently pop capping, and you're continuing to gain resources, so you are stockpiling. You're in that sweet zone. It's that, that's mm-hmm. like the best place to be because you have your army, you have everything you could possibly need, and you're still just creating resources. So if something devastating happens, you can replenish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got to start thinking like like those resources because you have a bank. 
Now you should be more worried about, can I spend my bank, right? So that's why targeting down production buildings is huge in Imperial Age. So if you're going for your opponent, you should be looking for those buildings and targeting them down. If you're looking at your own base, you need to make sure that is my production secure? Has my opponent knocked any of my production buildings down? Can I build any more to be safe? Am I producing to the fullest of my ability? Because those those become very crucial. Where if I suddenly lost like nine of my 11 barracks, I'm screwed. I can't field an army anymore, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. Was that our last one? I think it might have been our last one. I think so. Yeah, that was the last one. All right, well, let's take a quick, quick break, and then we'll come back with our extra sheeps. Hello. Uh, Sockton here again. Uh, this is the part of the show where I get to chat with you guys for just a little bit. Um, I do have some fun announcements I want to throw your guys' way. So if you normally skip this segment, don't. Uh, there is a couple things you, especially if you're listening to this segment uh, within the week that this podcast has come out. So if you're listening to this like live, you definitely want to, uh, to, to st- stick around for this part for once. If you normally skip it, I don't know why you would, because I think I'm great, but whatever. Um, and on that point, let me just get to the good news first. So if you do like skipping this segment because you're just want to get to the extra sheeps, let me let me just start right away. Um, we are taking over. Uh, we here of the extra sheep are rising against the rising empires. We have uh, worked with our friends and we are they have allowed us or rather we have conquered the rising empires. They are letting us uh, take over completely this coming Saturday. So that'll be Saturday, October 28th. So this coming Saturday, this episode's going to come live on Tuesday, uh, the 24th uh, Pacific time. And on the 28th, this Saturday, the, the Rising Empire's Low Illa Legends is going to be hosted by the Extra Sheep. So Beal, Sir Neville's, myself, maybe even Askeladd, maybe uh, 1014 might be busy, but maybe even Caleb Calamari. Actually, I think he's busy this time. Caleb might come on. We might do this again later, but it'll be a for sure. Beal, Sir Neville's, myself, possibly Askeladd are going to be taking over Rising Empire's. We are going to be there. We are going to make it sheepified. Everything's going to be sheepy, sheepy, sheep. We're going to have like basically it'll be like an extra podcast episode. You won't want to miss it. Check out Rising Empires on Twitch. Check that out. If you're not in the tournament already, uh, either sign up. We might cast some of your games. Or if you just want to watch, we will be there. We're we're, ideally do both, right? Like have it open on the side, you know, then play some games. But we will be there. We're going to be casting it. uh, The three of us for sure. Uh, it's going to be a great time. If you haven't already, also, I've been posting the Battle of the Wall between Beale and I. I might have spoiled it this episode, what happened. Uh, but it, it's the result really wasn't what was important. The fun thing was just the games were pretty wild and crazy, and the guys were just having a great time. It's on YouTube. If you've got, if you if you want to watch something for like an hour or two, uh, it's three games. The first one went really long. The other two are a bit quicker. Uh, yeah, lots of fun. But we're taking over Rising Empires this week. So if you're listening to this post like that first week this episode comes out it won't be this won't be too exciting uh but we might be doing something like that again in the future but again we're taking over rising empires i'm planning on like redoing their branding i'm planning on doing some funny things just making it sheepified it's going to be great so if you haven't been tuning into rising empires as often uh definitely don't miss it this week we will be there so i know there's a lot of hype about our live episode that we did uh, we're just trying to reach out to the community, trying to do more things as a podcast. I, after the episode aired, uh, me, Beale, Sir Neville's, and uh, Tim stuck around for a bit after this episode with just us. We were just kind of chatting, and I was kind of t- talking like, you know, what can we do to make this 
this podcast bigger, right? Not that I want to be like the biggest podcast ever. Like that's not really the goal. It's, it's really more about just connecting the community more. Right. Uh, and so to that end, what do we do? And this is one thing we've had a pretty good partnership with rising empires. Hopefully this will strengthen that a little bit more. Um, I think us and, uh, the great Barra have been pretty dang close helps that Sir Neville started the dang thing. Uh, so obviously we've been pretty tied to the hip with the great Barra, but with uh, Ask, I haven't been on the show and with our connections we have through them, through the Rising Empires, that's kind of where we all met, essentially. So we've got a lot of love for that community. Uh, we're real excited to do this and we're really, really, really uh, excited they're letting us do this because let's be honest, if they really didn't want us to do this, they, would, they wouldn't let us. But Ask, Glad seemed pretty, pretty excited about it. I'm pretty dang stoked. Uh, that's like my Saturday is cleared. Like that's all I'm doing is this. So definitely check it out. Um, besides that, uh, I want to shout out my wife, Riniru. Uh, for helping me one do the extra sheep app uh the, sorry the more nights.com ad this week uh the fun news alert very important stuff also she kind of compiled this cool like slideshow of like a town meeting that me beal and neville's needed to sit down and go through with caleb and ask we're gonna kind of we're, we're trying to organize ourselves to get this podcast it'll be more organized you know not that we're not organized but we're trying to plan ahead because we've mentioned the tournament a couple times in a row uh, we did the battle of the wool uh, which is the me and Beal duking it out against each other. We thought that was kind of a fun thing to do. We'll do more of those going forward as well. Uh, but yeah, maybe a tournament in the future with like maybe maps that focus on extra sheep. Uh, I definitely want to do that when I've been talking about it for like six weeks now. Haven't decided when yet, but we're trying to get together and get like a plan figured out. So that is on the horizon. Uh, we will keep you guys updated as we get more details figured out and hammered out. Beal, I know, has been pretty busy. He said... Uh, that come mid-November, his schedule is going to kind of figure itself out a bit more. He's going to get more stable and, and situated, and then he's going to be able to devote more time to it because I'm I'm kind of just one guy alone, and I do the editing for this. Obviously, that's why I have my little one-on-one -on -one with you guys. Uh, so I'm kind of booked, essentially, with how much time I can give extra because I'm already giving extra with my extra sheep in this podcast. Uh, but Beal is uh, wanting to step to the plate and do a little bit more and help organize that, and he's going to do some creative thought on that too. So we're really excited about that. Besides that, I just want to give a big shout out to all of our Patreon uh, supporters. You guys are awesome. I really, really appreciate every bit we get. Uh, you can find us on Patreon slash like the extra sheep. If you just Google it, it pops up. I promise. It's also we have a link in the description of this episode. Uh, if you want to just donate even just a dollar a month, we really appreciate it. Uh, that money goes literally straight to keeping this podcast on Spotify, on the airwaves, wherever you find us. Uh, uh, we use that money to host a podcast. It costs uh, a good amount of money for us to do that. Uh, and so far it was out of our own pockets, but now I can actually say that you guys have funded it. You guys have at least helped us keep this podcast alive another year uh, without me having to explain to my wife why I spent like hundreds of dollars on, on stuff for this. So thank you guys genuinely. Uh, we really appreciate it. And hopefully if we get a little bit more extra out of that, we can put it towards maybe like a tournament or do some other cool things. Like we're, we're, we're brainstorming what we can do. Uh, so definitely, definitely, if you can, uh, we would love and appreciate any kind of help you can give us. Of course, if you can't, don't feel pressured. Uh, we just spread the word in other ways, you know, just help us out in other ways. Uh, shout us out. Tell us if we're doing great. We'd love to hear that, too. Uh, besides that. Am I forgetting anything? I usually think I've gotten everyone here on this one. If you haven't ever done uh, Rising Empires, this would definitely be the week to sign up because we're going to be casting it. Uh, also they do the war chief club for those who are aspiring to be a bit better than us plebs here in golden plat. Uh, and besides that, yeah, I think that's it. So I'll send you guys back for the extra sheeps. Thank you again. And look out for us on Saturday. Uh.
and we're back. Long break as ever. That time for the extra sheep time. This is the final part of our episode where we share a little tidbit that we learned. Um, I'll start with uh, Beal today, if you've got one ready, Beal. Yeah, I, I did bring it up earlier. Uh, I guess I kind of wasted it earlier, but I was going to just talk about uh, the weirdness of dealing with that guy on the ladder who had that fast castle French build into a keep drop mm. and just trying to figure out how to identify that in uh, in other games because he, his opening, um, it was these were hybrid maps that we were playing. So he would take a later feudal age um, just to get his economy set up. He wouldn't go for any of the water resources, uh, but he'd stay in his own base. And then as soon as he hit feudal, he would have units raiding your docks and bring in a couple to just harass uh, your villagers. Um, And then behind that, he'd have enough of an economy to get up to castle, typically faster than you, uh, be able to incorporate men at arms and then just do this ballsy 30 vils into your base dropping a keep like right on your town center sort of play uh, and so really caught me off guard the first time um i've never seen a fast castle keep drop from the french i don't know if any of you else have i don't think so uh, yeah if i is, was if i was going to do that i wouldn't be the french caught me off guard because when the when the villagers came in uh they were supported by you know like 10 uh upgraded royal knights and maybe 10 to 20 men at arms as well uh so with the slower sort of play that you have when you go on water i just wasn't prepared the first time around uh facing this guy uh yeah so i mean rematched him figured he was going to do the same thing and went fast castle abbasid and was able to just build like mangonels crossbows and uh gulam faster than he could uh he's still gonna keep up but i took out like 28 of the villagers when he was building it so it was basically Ooh. over at that point nice. uh, but yeah uh really really interesting strategy that I don't know how viable it is against other people uh, because we're like floating around the mid to high platinum range. Um, But he's he's pulled it off. Oh, man. Looking at before he faced me, I'm now looking at his uh, AOE four world. He played against Amarath. Uh, Long time listener of the pod. Yeah, Yeah, I watch her daily. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i wonder i he likely yeah <laughs> i wonder if uh if this player did the same thing against uh our buddy here uh i don't know interesting build order something i haven't seen caught me off guard uh, i was lucky enough to rematch into him and you know just beat it because it's basically like a one trick can you fool somebody else sort of thing but uh, a couple of interesting games played out very differently than a normal game against the French. Interesting. I, I think I hate all fast castle builds. I just hate it. Uh, I, I love, I love, I my love me play. the HRE fast no, castle. Dude, so I fun. hate it. When I see HRE, I just know immediately attack their goal. I want to <laughs> I'll give anything to attack their goal. I hate fast castles. 
Uh, you're good. Uh, Sir Nevels, what's your extra sheep today? Okay, well, you know, Saga Ten, I, I I was inspired by my extra sheep by watching you your uh, stream. Was that yesterday? The other day? Uh, I think it was, was Friday. Ago, yeah. Two days ago. Friday. Okay. Yeah, man. I was really I was inspired, man. And uh, so I knew you were kind of down the dumps. You weren't really feeling too well. You were you were you were you were tilting a little bit, man, which is understandable. Happens to the best of us. But you know, I'm here for a little morale boost, man. Listen. You didn't lose any of those games you played. Did you you saying you went two and nine? No, non existent. You didn't lose, brother. You just failed at winning. And that's a big difference. That's supposed to be feel difference. better? You know. <laughs> it's a big difference, sir. Losers lose. Winners don't lose, man. You just failed. Oh, okay. So, 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 so you're saying I no. lost the games, but I am not a loser. You're not a loser. Okay. No, it's a big difference, brother. Big difference. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I like to quote, like to quote a very, very, let's say pop culture, very big uh, figure in pop culture, DJ Khaled. He's a heavier <laughs> set man. He's a heavier set man. He is. And people asked him in an interview. They said, they said, hey man, why don't, why don't you ever, you know, get on the treadmill? Why don't you lose weight? And his response to that is. I, I don't lose. That's why. <laughs> Listen, because it's all a mindset at the end of the day, boys. It's all a mindset. Did you lose or did you fail when? Next time you take an L on the ladder, ask yourself that question. Did you lose or did you fail at winning? And, you, and if, if you're a winner, which, which I know everybody in this podcast is, then it's, it's the ladder that you, you just failed at winning. And it happens to the best of us. A lot of people, the greats of life have failed at winning. But they're not losers. So I think to, to piggyback on that, like for me, I, for me, I hopefully this can help you too. It's a, a classic shooter slump in basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, you just the the only thing to break you out of the slump is well, I should say two things. One, keep shooting the ball, mm-hmm. and two, as soon as you watch that thing go in, it's over. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. You just oh. keep, you just keep playing. And then you Boom. win a game, all of a sudden, every loss, all the stuff that happened behind, it's over. You're one to know exactly. now. Exactly. Boom. You said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. So anybody listening, anybody in this podcast, looks up in the mirror. Look yourself in the mirror right after this recording. Go in the mirror, eye to eye yourself, and be like, I'm a winner. I'm That's ugly and I'm proud. I'm <laughs> ugly and I'm proud. I'm ugly and I'm proud. Is that what he Locked calls you're it? A winner. We we had, we had a couple we had a couple let's talk, we had a couple team games. Did we lose those games or did we? We won one of those. Hey, we won one of those and it was we a listened. good game. I thought that was our get right game. Then my <laughs> wife told me, play one more. You gotta end end on it. Play another game and, and then we lost it. <laughs> Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We did what now? We, 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 we failed at winning. <laughs> there we go. We <laughs> correct that. We don't lose. Hi, <laughs> I'm Socrates. I'm a recovering uh, HRE player. <laughs> exactly. We don't lose. No one here loses. Next time I'm on a not winning streak, uh, I guess I'll just ask myself, am I a loser or am I a failure? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. Too good. Oh, oh. well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to find a way to quick, uh, quickly just resolve that one. That was a good one. Now I got to think of a way to get around that one. <laughs> I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go next. I'll save 10, 10, 10, for Tim's extra sheet for the very end here, but I'll do, uh, I'll do mine next. Um, mine is, uh, oh gosh, what was that? I, I had, I had one. I didn't write it down. Usually I do. Um, what was it again? Uh, I want to say it was something to do with Abbasid. Um, oh yeah, actually I remember what it was. Uh, 
it was going to be until <laughs> that last that big losing streak. I was going to mention how much fun I've had playing Abbasid, uh, mixing it up a little bit. Uh, American Jeremy, I'm going to shut him out. I, I, I've been doing that most most episodes since he started shout playing out. this game. But a shout out to him. Uh, he mentioned to me that he was getting kind of he was playing a lot of English originally, and then he swapped civs. He started playing. Uh, was it Delhi? I think he started playing Delhi and he's been playing Ottomans now. And he mentioned that it's just so much fun. It gives such a new perspective on the game to swap civs and learn a new civilization. The whole, the whole game just feels completely different. And I really much agreed with that. And I really have noticed that playing Abbasid. It just feels so different and fun and loose, you know, uh, until I lost, like went to a nine that that kind of brought me back down to earth. But now I'm sitting there going, maybe I should go back to Ottomans again for a little bit. And maybe I should just keep expanding what I can do with all these new civs coming into the game, too. I'm just I'm so excited to try out new stuff because I was a longtime English guy. And then I was really, really big on uh, HRE. I play a lot of French, too. Uh, it's been a while now, but. Uh, having like expanding your repertoire of, of civilizations you can effectively play even if they're not all at your highest level just yet even just being serviceable uh is really fun and it's so satisfying to get a win with a new civ really is oh, especially yeah. when it's because you did something good and not just your opponent doing something bad but even when they even when you just get a win a win's a win so uh that was my extra sheep just kind of short and sweet just that if you're feeling like the game's just not feeling as peppy or as you know as enthralling as it was it's okay to give it a break but also consider if you still just want to play AOE and just enjoy it again, learning a new Civ because there's a lot and there's going to be even more mm -hmm. to learn. So this is a good as time as any to pick up a new one. Oh, yeah, I agree. With that, uh, last but certainly not least, we've got 10 for Tim. Uh, what is your extra sheep? So I really like that you said that because you kind of got a newfound love of the game again playing opposite you know getting those wins uh -huh. and that kind of stuff and i can i i, I can understand that my extra sheep is <clears throat> kind of more of, of an experience or a summary of what's been going on with me for the past couple of months because summer wasn't really that great uh didn't have a mentally good summer and mm -hmm. i kind of felt like distanced from aoe i didn't really play it for about maybe like four months something like that. And uh, I think that's not necessarily because I didn't like the game, but more my own uh, problems. But I think after it was probably about, I want to say three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. I really fell in love with the game again. And I was playing, you know, just kind of the same sibs that I used to, but, you know, actually delving in, getting my replays, reviewing my casts, doing things in my free time that kind of circled around this game. And it felt like I wanted to do more of the things that I enjoy doing with my free time again. So um, now for this in terms of, you know, me playing the game, casting the game, streaming the game, I'm going to be doing it incredibly frequently uh, for the months to come. And probably the last thing that I will say that I usually say at the end of most casts that I do is anybody, whether it's a friend, significant other, family member, loved one, anything like that, uh, tell them that you love them because it really goes a long way. And I can really say mm. after casting, doing a podcast with you guys for the second time, I can say I genuinely love you guys and love being Oh, here. let's go. Love having you here. Love yeah, having guys. you. I love you. I love you back. All love. Beautiful man. And we love you viewers as well. Actually, I, I, I'd like to extend that love. also to, to all the viewers. I mean, I one of the best things, I've mentioned this a couple of times, one of the best things about this podcast has been kind of the community that came up to it. Uh, Mark 2.0 had something very, very nice to say to me. And I hope he doesn't mind me putting him on the spot a little bit. But he said he told me that I was one of the pillars of the community because of this podcast, because of what we've done. 
and that really stuck because I like again like I I think of pillars of the community I think of like Beastie I think of uh, like EGCTV and the guys there uh, I don't think of myself in this podcast I don't I don't think we're big enough to be able to be called that I, I wouldn't say that we are but to have someone else say that just made me feel really good it made me like maybe hope that I hope that is what this becomes you know I hope that this podcast finds wherever you guys are listening uh, in a good spot or maybe if not hopefully it gets you to a better spot right. But and, I, you know, with you guys, especially with Socrates and Beale, I think the first time that you guys casted might have been with me or one of the first ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so possibly, yeah. I, I like to think that you know, you guys doing this and continuing to play the game and making the podcast and doing those kinds of stuff, and that's really finding your own happiness and doing those things that you enjoy. I'd like to think that I put you know a little bit of time into helping you find that. For sure, I yeah, mean, I think so. so. The first, so I got into Age of Empires 4 because I saw a Reddit post that said there was a low ELO tournament. I hadn't played it since launch. I saw that. I was like, ah, that sounds really fun. I'm going to play some ranked games two days before the tournament to get some practice in on whatever the game is at this point because I hadn't played it in a year. Uh, Played in the first, one of my first low ELO legends, the first one that I played in, and on the stream, uh, Tim, you and uh, Moak uh, casted it. And, you know, the conversations I had in the Rising Empires Discord, uh, with all the community around that first tournament and how supportive it was. It's like, yeah, I want to do this every single week. And then in later weeks, there was a time where Sogerton casted mm, most of that. my games on a B stream uh, for Loilo Legends. And then like two weeks after that, I found the Griobara Discord. And God, so, how you doing? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they, you all have been like reasons why I've stuck around Age of Empires. Why I haven't really played any other video game since late 2022, uh, because mm-hmm. it's it's such a fun and supportive community uh, that is something that you really want to involve yourself with because uh, of the people and because of like the creative opportunities that you have. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it, it's great that you guys developed this and I am truly honored that I could be here as a guest for multiple well, times. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah been, man. We, we like having, we kind of, right we've been kind of joking. We kind of have like, you know, it, it's, it started with me, Beale and uh, Sir Neville's with this podcast. And uh, Caleb has been in and out a number of times. He's been like our fourth right in here. And then it's like you, Tim and Asklad are like the next, like the next, like in that circle as well, kind of like all coming and going quite a bit and often around in, in our, like you're, you're in all of our admin chats too, like the behind the scenes stuff. And we kind of, I've left like, it's, it's like, I think Beal, Sir Neville's and I kind of are like the main host, but then we've got like 10 for Tim in the back and we got Caleb Calamari. We got Asklad kind of also always involved with us. And I, I just love that. I mm-hmm. love our little group we got. I, it's some of our conversations are hilarious too. So I, I'm, I'm just so privileged <laughs> to be able to be part of that. Likewise, seriously, you're, you're, you're pretty much every episode of Spear. We pretty much bring you up every episode. It's so too, true. Every time we talk about China, <laughs> I think I've mentioned you so many time. times, Tim. Much every episode, anyway. You're I mean, here. I enjoy okay. other stuff. I just don't enjoy <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, I think we've uh, reached the end of our show today, guys. Uh, this has been the Extra Sheep, uh, the unofficial Age of Empires Four podcast. One of these days, we will be official. Darn it. A call here. One of these days, I'm gonna get. A, I'm gonna email from someone who's got power and authority and lots of money, and uh, they're gonna be like, "Hey, <laughs> we're gonna make you official, Socrates. We're gonna do it." 
Till then, we are the unofficial. Um, We're kind of fun. It's kind of fun being independent and uh, basically hosted by ourselves and helped by all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, Thanks to everyone who's made this show possible, including myself. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're pretty, you're pretty good on that. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I think, I think, I think, I would say you're probably a pretty, you know, pretty high figure in uh, getting started. I, I, I have a bit of a say in what happens up here. Until uh, <laughs> the next time, guys. Uh, I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about next episode. Uh, I'm sure by the time we even, I'm sure by Tuesday, I'm sure. Uh, what, what's probably next? What do we think the next one's going to be? Let's take, a, let's take a guess. It's probably going to be uh, HRE. I thought it was going to be HRE. They're probably probably ended off with Japan. Japan How many many more weeks do we have till it comes out? We've got... Three? Three weeks? How many have they not announced yet? Just two. So the uh, Order of the Dragon haven't announced and they haven't announced Japan. They'll probably do one than the other. And boys, listen, like, wait until, but listen to, you don't even know about the content once the sieves actually drop. Oh, yeah. The content's we'll going to be overwhelming. We're going to, we're going to have content. so much to talk about. It's going to take us, like, months to get through all of it. it really oh, yeah. Will. It's going to be so much content. Like, um, I mean, we, we had a lot of content on eight sieves. Look how much it was, 16 yeah. now? We're yeah. going crazy. My wife put together a really big presentation. We're having, we're supposed to do some kind of town meeting at some point. Uh, and for you listeners, this is just totally fluff at this point, but... Uh, at some point, my wife like really went behind Rini Ru, shout out to her. She went out and designed this beautiful like PowerPoint of like a meeting that we need to have about future content that we're going to get to you guys, the listeners, uh, including we had our battle of the wool. Uh, Beal and I had like a three uh, a three game best of three grunge match. It was kind of wonky rules. We kind of were all over the place. Uh, we'll post the first bit of that is on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Uh, I'll have the next half of that up uh, soon. Uh, but yeah, we have all uh, like we've got about the extra sheep live. We'll be doing more of those soon. Uh, Battle of the Wool, we'll do more of those as well. Um, we got extra content on our Patreon. We're thinking about doing a tournament sometime. We haven't really figured out when. We, we need to sit down and actually figure out what we're going to do for that. But I do want to make a tournament for perhaps you, the listeners, or you or someone. You know, we'll do something cool. Uh, and we're going to have more guests like 1014, Masklad, and, and maybe some other people who haven't been on the show before as well. We'd love to keep reaching out and get more people on. We've got a bit of a list that we're compiling as well. Uh, so till then, everyone, wherever you are, whether you're in the Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, Eastern, Western, North America, South America, wherever you are, have a great rest of your day, and we'll catch you guys next time. Till next time. See ya.